0: Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer, we can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C-Certified Brew Head. Welcome to episode 24 of Green on the Podcast, quarantine edition, adjunct series. This evening, we are back. If you are an OG BAOS listener and or viewer, you will remember this individual this legend this mad dog from uh, i think the first episode was 19 18 or 19 and the second was 41 and i don't think we've had him on since and we meant to do that but we're making up for that tonight so a lot has changed so episode 41 must have been 20 16 or 17 at the latest probably 17 so you know that shows you how far, uh, no, 2017 for sure, that shows you how far uh, you know along this things have changed. So um, th- uh, basically, this dude started a renaissance in Ontario craft beer can art and labeling as far as the way to present craft beer, as far as uh, targeting a different audience. Um, what he's been able to achieve in his short few years, five years or so, of being in business is pretty damn wild. The dude is a champion, personal, really good friend of mine. Shahan Desilva from Lost Craft, what up, son? How's it going? Good, mate. How are you? You know. No. Dad, surviving. Surviving. Getting through. Getting through that dad life thing. Exactly. Exactly. Getting tons of sleep. Yeah. Are you? Are you? You're not, are not hiding. <laughs> no, no. <I'm> definitely <laughs> uh, first of all congrats you had a uh a baby boy born what like a week or so ago uh the 29th of august, of of uh august oh okay good nearly a month Jeez, yeah like, exactly i feel like a week, like like a
1: week
0: a ago <laughs> damn how's uh how has that been for you as far as like the the change in uh, lifestyle and like i know you obviously prepared yourself for it but
1: um. yeah yeah for sure i mean i think that um I think all new parents, there's always like a pretty harsh adjustment that you, you, you kind of go into, but yeah. have like a very considerate uh, and reasonable partner. So she's uh, she's definitely taken on the brunt of uh, the baby duties while I've been working. But um, but I think the other thing that I we were actually talking about this yesterday, and I think because you guys know I have I had a, got a Doberman last year, like a, a, a puppy. Yes. Um. So raising Rucks. him right like a year before the baby actually was like such a good like Like um, it was a good uh start because nothing like we already had to get up early we already had we already felt that responsibility for him obviously a a, like a human baby is much different (laughs) um but it was like an interesting prep so i did i do feel like it was less of a shock to the system
0: than um
1: than it could have been for other people so get a dog then have a kid that's that would be my recommendation advice.
0: that's the plan all right Paying the dog for that <laughs> you know what i'm saying dog well we got plants right now we're we're at plant level and now yeah. we're keeping them alive they're flourishing we're propagating and shit i got a basil garden, like a herb garden outside fam it's it's, it's killing it then like, we get into the living breathing creatures a little bit deeper i feel like yeah you're you're like you're much higher level yeah. yeah
1: i don't know about i don't know about turtles though you know they live for a
0: long <laughs> time. they live a long yeah. ass time notion so, is stuck you know yeah, the <laughs> yeah, I don't, anyway, that's it. a little dig on Brad. Yeah, he loves it. He loves it. He's uh, he's gonna. I thought at one point he was gonna like maybe consider like you know offloading the man's because it was controlling his life for a while. For the same thing, you can imagine a, a puppy stage. How long does a puppy stage last? A few months, six months, a year? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, Dobermans are a little bit longer, but yeah, generally at least a
0: year. Yeah, okay. exactly. So you can think for a tortoise who has human lifespan, it's like a human lifespan level of of babying. So like he had to have. A, Fed at, like, whatever, 8 a.m. And then fed again at, like, 5 p.m. or something like that. And it really had to be – it. all the lights have to be adjusted in the heat because it's a reptile. Like, it literally controlled his life. Like, he had to have someone stay at his house if he came here to Montreal or went anywhere. So – Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, was like, I mean, I think
1: – I don't know if I told you the story, but one of my friends had one or two turtles. I forget. And when he sold his condo, one of the condition, and he moved to the U.S. Okay. But one of his conditions to the buyer was the, tr- the turtles had to stay. So the buyer of the condo took the turtles <laughs> but then quickly realized that that was not a <laughs> – Right. So what did he do? So, Get rid of them? Uh, I, no, I don't even know. I think he just has the turtles. But I just – I don't think that he researched it enough to understand actually what owning turtles. (laughs) It's it's kind of crazy, you know,
0: because I don't think they have a lot of like. I mean, without knowing that reptile industry and shit, like, there's not a lot of automation as far as like you have this digital timer that turns the lights on at specific times and like something that like lets the food out because it's fresh food. It's like spinach leaves and like like fruit and crap that you feed them. So it's not even like. Um, it's not even like, it's not like a, a kitty litter thing where it just puts out that dry shit or whatever. So whole different game, not ready for it. It's not happening. Do you know what I am ready for? Beer. God yeah, damn it. I haven't had this for ages, diversity, though. Yeah, yeah. This Still. is a, uh, this is the Hell's Lager. Five percent mm-hmm. classic, wicked label. Um, maybe it's what I'm doing. And you got something different, right? You're doing... I'm doing a lager to, uh, Unify. Unify. You want to tell us about both these beers? Just so we can, uh what the, but the man there, right? uh,
1: um, yeah I mean diversity is uh, like a true to style kind of um, house lager a uh, super easy super crisp um, we uh, if you can turn the can on after you pour you can show like the I mean obviously this the, the uh, silhouette so. design um, with uh, 14 of the top languages smoking in uh, Toronto um, cool. it's really just meant to uh, be a beer honoring uh, honoring the city where we're from where we grew up Love um, and uh yeah an exciting actually new piece of news so we launched this beer last year um you know when uh you know a p- big part of you know our company's kind of mission and vision and my personal you know vision and mission has always been to expand uh you know expand the craft beer audience to new people that typically have been you know perhaps not marketed to or or not approached yes and uh so this this beer and the whole concept was la- it wasn't like an in-vogue thing that happened this year when there was a lot of, uh, you know, hype around, uh, the you know, yeah, hyperactive noise around the situation. But it was something that we always have been, been doing, and we launched it last year. Um, it's coming back, like we're relaunching. I mean, we, we, we it's, it's a beer that we sell, and we, we've been brewing year round. But it's going back into the LCBO in Ontario as we speak, yes. and uh, we actually um, have a, a new piece of news: is that. Uh, We've uh, entered into an agreement uh, with uh, the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion um, to be one of our uh, kind of core partners. And uh, we have a big campaign that we're uh, collabing with them on um, that's going to be rolling out in the coming months as well, uh, likely in partnership with the LCBO too. So we're, we're pretty, uh, pretty excited to, to, you know, bring, you know, more exposure and, and really amplify you know that expand the audience voice that uh, i think has been you know missing in craft for for quite a long time
0: love that bro well cheers to that success man Yeah, you? Ooh. Mm. i love this recipe it's classic really good i'm splitting with dan the tiff's cousin enough i told you about him eating. yeah yeah he's working for high season he's a legend so i'm gonna be getting through a bit more you're just gonna get shahan drunk you're <laughs> my favorite drunk person ever.
1: Did I Johanda, my dad? dad I went to oh, lost
0: No, craft. so did you hear that? No. Tiff, her dad, started uh, buying lost craft now. We're convincing the Jamaicans. All Jamaican men. Because every time he comes over, I'd bless him where I always have some beer and stuff there, and I always keep Tiff's mum stocked. So he, he's tried a bunch of the beers, and obviously he's just a Heineken drinker. All and, and you're goodness. like, you know, I saw your
1: friend in the Els <laughs> Biel. Oh. Yeah. And he like,
0: picked up, like, I guess, throwing them up.
1: No, beer, I mean, it's funny, choice. too, because, you know, obviously, like, there are, like, of my background, I was born in Canada, or, or Toronto, but, you know, my background's, uh, you know, Sri Lankan, and, uh, you know, God bless my mom, she's, like, number one brand supporter, works in the company, promotes it, and stuff like that, and, uh, and obviously, within her friend, you know, is always, like, picking up, picking uh, up the company, so okay. I do think, like, you know, in the, in the heart of Scarborough, in random places, it's, like, her, our family friends that are, that are picking up the beer, and I think that LCBO staff are like, "What's going on? Really? Like, <laughs> this, is not, this is not the demographic that I uh, <laughs> that I thought that I thought, I, this I, that I thought I was going to pick this up, but uh, I get tons of like pictures from our like my, uh, like uncles and aunties um, being like, look at, look at the beer I got. We're on vacation, etc., cetera, etc.' Cetera. So
0: always love the support. That's sick, man. I love it. I love it. It's very, very cool. Not everything can sort of inspire that level of like uh, you know people. Want it's fine. It like yeah, that. I mean, I think too because you know it's. You'd be,
1: it's, it's shocking to me how, you know, I don't say little progress we've made, but you know, in 2015, I started the company and the whole thing was, there's this like stigma around craft beer that it's like hard to drink, really weird, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I was, you know, having a conversation with, with, you know, a couple of people the other day and I heard it again, like, you know, that, oh, I don't drink craft beer. It's just too bizarre for me. You know, I don't like it, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, there's just still, like, you know, there's so much room to, you know, get, you know, more people drinking, you know, local, uh, you know, fresh ingredient product that support, you know, the local economy. Um, and and I still think that there's just so much work to do. After I kind of had I've had a couple conversations about that more recently, um, and I'm sure you kind of, you guys hear the news, you know, market growth is slowing down, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, as I said, you know, I think it's not about, you know, converting a Coors Light drinker to like IPAs is a very difficult thing. But you know, getting um, people that are on macro beers into more gateway styles of beer, like the Hell's Lager, like a Lagerdale Pilsner, etc., etc., is a lot easier of a you know of a switch. Yeah. Um. So I think it's just about working that out.
0: I think it's like a, it's that for sure, and making people aware that craft beer isn't just crazy IPAs and stuff. Cause that's the, I think outside of the craft beer world where if we're in it, we know that that's not what it means. It's, it's literally limitless sort of styles, but people just think of it, the craft beer, fancy shit, all that weird stuff or whatever. When this is exactly what, it, what this are the perfect gateway brew because you've got like the whole run of styles, whether you've um, some of the random stuff, like you're doing the one-off small batch things, even with the brew, which is super cool. We'll get to that after. Um, but even just having like the light lager revival, the Kolsch, the actual Hellas lager, um, the, uh, crimson, the red ale, serious pale ale, I guess there's other flagships now probably, right? Yeah. We just, we have just lots of beers. Like we lots just don't. Of <laughs> beers. So there's, there's a lot of beers for, for people. It's, you're the perfect company for that. We, like you are the, like, and you've always sort of come in saying that as well for anyone who's been familiar with the story. Like, yo, no, no, we're going to get you into beer, but it's not. But now only recently, and I've loved it, because I feel like I've busted your ass for years to do wild shit, and I've seen you have been doing more and more kind of small-batch like, stuff, more targeted at a, at a more advanced palette, or more the nerdier stuff, which I've really been appreciating, because it's really well done. Including, like, the Eclipse, the Milkshake, the Brute, I'm a big fan of that. All that type of stuff. So I feel like you've found like, this nice little groove for yourself, which is still primary gateway, but you're still able to satisfy a more diverse audience now both in palate and uh, ethnic background too, right? Which is dope.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely made, you know, a conscious effort. Um, just, you know, it, you know, I think we definitely, you know, I think, as you know, when we started um, being a contract brewery, et cetera, et cetera, you know, there's a lot of, and frankly, having a nice looking can, um, that, you know, uh, that resulted in some criticism about well the, it's just a marketing company it's just a brand the beer isn't that good etc cetera, etc cetera. obviously as you know that first beer that we launched did win like best in ontario across all beer categories um which you know silenced i think a lot of critics um exactly. and uh, and yeah and i think that um you know for us it was important to show depth in terms of you know styles of beer that we think are interesting and unique but yet still approachable i mean we Consistently have that uh, philosophy in mind um, because I think you can make you know really nice IPAs and I think you can make sours and you know other unique and interesting beers, uh, but that can appeal to still a you know a pretty broad uh, a broad audience. Hundred percent,
0: and that's and you know what I think we're kind of skipping ahead. Then this is touching on your origin story. Do you want to maybe you don't have to give a full wrap up so if anyone wants to really know the in-depth go check out the early episode with the terrible camera work because we had a 50 mil lens at tiff the poor thing was like holding it handheld and it's just jerky and stuff we didn't know shit about what we were doing and then episode 41 for a bit more but do you want to give people like a bit of an elevated pitch on sort of like you've touched on a bunch of them already and what you're about and then we'll maybe get catch people up and what's been happening since the last episode
1: um, yeah, so I mean, you know, I, I came from a, you know, a finance uh, you know, background, but I was always just a beer guy. Traveled a lot in uh, Europe and loved like German style beers. I fell in love with the Kolsch, as you guys know, which was the first beer that we did. And I uh, really wanted to kind of get involved in in, you know, in craft because, as I kind of said, you know, number one, um, I really, you know, I love supporting local business, I love supporting local, uh, you know, local craft beers. Uh, I, th- I think at the time, we're talking about five years ago, yes. um, there really was a missing piece in terms of, like, approachable lagers and easier to drink beers, and everything seemed to be the race to the highest IBU kind of style IPA. Back then, yeah. Um, so, uh, so I just kind of, like, left my job, did something I was, you know, just to kind of follow a passion, um, did a lot of work, uh, traveled to Germany, was there for a while, visited a bunch of breweries, got a bit of, you know, brewing experience. I'm well, not a brewer, but I kind of understood the, you know, the the business and brewing, you know, a little bit more, and then came back to Toronto. Uh, worked with the local brewer here and made our first beer. In the background, also tons of meetings and prep work, and et cetera, et cetera, with the LCBO and getting, you know, getting, you know, some support from them who who've been, you know, a phenomenal partner to us. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, I mean, in the end, um, we were able to kind of launch the launch the launch the brand and launch the company um, as a contract business uh, with the. Uh, with the uh, goal and intention to, you know, eventually move into some, you know, bricks and mortar capacity, uh, you know, concept, whether that's a brew pub, whether that's a production brewery, et cetera, et cetera. We're still kind of working through the kinks. Um, we had hoped that by now we would have been, uh, had that problem solved. And I think, I think absent COVID, we probably would have had that problem solved uh, at some point this last year.
0: year you were, like, pretty close uh, to cool the tree, Yeah, right?
1: exactly. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so but, in, and then, you know, since, you know, since the last time we spoke, you know, just continuing to innovate, continuing to come, trying to kind of keep, keep, uh, our product rotation fresh, um, added a lot, a lot of seasonals, some more small batch stuff into the pipeline. And, uh, as you know, and launched our first, uh, ready to drink products so or Dejado tequila, tequila soda lime, um, another like passion project, uh, you know, of mine, uh, with, with another friend of mine who, uh. You know, there, there's obviously I'm sure you guys know like there's a ton of vodka RTDs, but you know the tequila is, um, you know no, is, it's is is very underserved. Yeah. Um, so so anyway, so that's kind of where we are now, and uh, you know, and again, like the whole our whole vision is really just has always been to just really expand expand um expand the uh, craft beer audience to to more people, more cultures,
0: more, uh, bring uh, more people into the town. I love it. I love it. Um. Daniel in Vancouver saying, Lost craft of a win. Dan is a good friend of mine. He always comes out here and I always make sure he uh, gets all, he's had pretty much all your shit. He loves it. Man's oh. coming true. I love it. Okay, so then let's get to the the bullshit we always have to talk about since we're in the middle of a damn pandemic. How has it, um, I don't want to dwell on it too much because I'm kind of over talking about it, but it's always interesting to hear different people's perspectives because every brewery has their own set of circumstances. So with <clears throat> yourself, you know, you're very heavy on the LCBO. Now you have your... Online store, which is great. Um, how has the whole kind of did, it, did you have to pivot during the pandemic? Did how did it affect you? Did you you know a lot of breweries saw a big increase in sales because people only got shit else to do except drink beer and stuff. So how did how did it go for you guys?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean. Um... Unfortunately, we no longer have our online store, it didn't work out. <laughs> but that's a different story we can get to. But okay. yeah, I mean, I mean, effectively, um, you know, 30 to 40 percent of our business was driven by, you know, bar and restaurant business um, that went to zero kind of pretty much overnight. Yeah. Obviously, there's also like a ton of product, um, like keg inventory, stuff like that, that we had to dump because, you know, every, you, know you, you have to keep that stuff in stock for, the, for that side of the business. Um, so that mm-hmm. uh, didn't work out very well. Unfortunately, but those are the breaks. Yeah. Um, and we did uh, using, um, uh, you know, effectively using some of the changes in reg- regulations in Ontario. We'd facilitated an online platform for direct delivering to people's houses. Um, unfortunately, the regulations were coming. You know, we're still working through it, but it's uh, we had to shut down the store. Um, which was unfortunate. Uh, a big, you know, and, and frankly, for us, it was you know trying to be creative oh. and figure out ways to keep the lights on. It was kind of really the the fundamental focus. You know, we um, we didn't lay off a single person during the pandemic, and we we actually hired um, someone to support our online uh, the the um, the online platform. So it uh, it was uh, you know we just did what we you know did what we could. Wanted to keep the lights on. Wanted to. Um, you know, keep uh, keep our team engaged and stuff. So um, we were able to do that, you know, for, for a period of time. Uh, now we're just re-pivoting and figuring out the right way to get, make sure that we comply with any and all re- regulations. Um, so that's kind of coming, I think, in, um, we're, we're hoping to relaunch uh, in some capacity, you know, sometime uh, before the end of this year. Okay, that's
0: good. At least there's a way to get probably back into it and stuff because... Yeah, they they kind of like – and they flip-flop in a lot with the different rules. And I understand because no one knows what the hell is going on as far as governments and stuff. And one industry – I mean, you and I spoke about this at length on the phone, obviously, recently. But, like, it it kind of – it's a shame because, I mean, it's way worse here in Quebec than it is in Ontario as far as the – what do you want to call it? The ridiculous, old, pointless laws surrounding beer. You know, Quebec breweries can't deliver out here like you have only some of the deaf and the especially beer stores can so I mean I guess we can buy stuff at more places but Ontario you can only buy it through the LCBO beer store and then through, through um, the online store so it's cool that you've got it but it's just kind of like it's a little strange to me in Arcade that they haven't just been like look fuck all these laws it means nothing it actually doesn't impact anything real and, and at the end of the day you start when, when something like this happens you're like oh these laws really don't protect anyone from anything. They're not benefiting anyone. They're actually just harming business. And it's kind of surprising that they don't just be like, all right, cool. We want every, instead of, wouldn't it just be better to just get rid of stupid laws than governments having to bail businesses out with loans and stuff? Like it just doesn't yeah, seem. I mean,
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's obviously frustrating where, where I sit, but, but I mean, look, the law, I mean, we got the business and we understood that there was a certain framework that existed in Ontario. Yeah. I think that the, the part, I mean, the part that I would say for contract brands like ourselves, and it's not just us, is that the struggle is we obviously got into the business with the understanding that, you know, that there are, we we can sell in, you know, via these certain channels, obviously licensees, obviously um, LCBOs, bar uh, beer stores, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, um, and you know. Uh, that licensee side of the business went to zero. And even now that it's come back, it's it's obviously significantly lower than what it was before. Okay. Um, and we, I mean, we feel for our restaurant partners, because I mean, those one they have been impacted like, you know, immensely. Um, so, but obviously like in, in, you know, within the context of the pandemic, um, they, you know, the government, you know, proactively had made, a, had effectively updated regulations and changed it and tried to, to to help that side of the industry, you know, with contract brands, we don't have a lobbyist. We don't have a real voice in government. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's the, the freshman for us obviously is that, you know, there, we haven't had any relief. We like, you know, if you're a bricks and mortar brewery, um, you know, you have the ability to sell direct online, et cetera, et cetera, uh, home delivery. So it's all, um, and you're right. Like for most people that are in that situation, revenue didn't decline Mm -hmm. and they're, they're fine. But you know, for us, we tried to work the system and, and make it work. But, you know, unfortunately there just hasn't been a similar pro like for businesses like ours, there just hasn't been similar relief given. And, you know, um, and so, you know, for us, we're just, you know, obviously just trying to figure out ways that uh, we can, you know, continue to, to, to operate and continue to be safe and keep our staff safe and keep our customers happy. And, um, and we're hoping that we can, you know, come out of this with, you know, some, Some uh, like a a resolution that kind of makes sense for everyone. And, I mean, for us, obviously, the unfortunate thing about all the rules, you know, is that, you know, our opinion, and this is an opinion, obviously, we don't know, but, you know, any, like, there, you know, we believe there was strong, there was a strong push from, you know, larger or just in general bricks and mortar breweries, um, really, uh, whether it's complaining, whether it's, you know, like just essentially trying to shut us down. Not just us. All of you know all of the contract, contract brands with. that we're trying to work within the regulations. So um, it wasn't a situation where you know I think that the, the general public was really upset about something. I think it was just a situation of um, competitively, you know, pe- people are trying to you know, uh, you know, either harm their competitors or benefit their own businesses. You know, so
0: could you speak a bit more about the specifics of that without um, not trying to be negative, but that's the first I've heard about it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, so the, the, <clears throat> the uh, there's, it's just, I mean, effectively, as you know, like in Ontario, bricks and mortar breweries have retail store authorizations, um, contract brands don't, you need a brewery to sell, like a, have your own little retail shop that you see in most kind of breweries, you know, across the province. Right. Um, but then there was, a uh, you know, some rule changes that we think, you know, that we think we could have worked around that, you know, situation, just facilitating, as like a distribution platform effectively Mm -hmm. and that still would allow us to sell direct. And that was only really, you know, it was never done before it was done in the context of the pandemic and some changes that we, that we understood were, um, uh, that we understood would, would make it okay. okay. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the spirit of it, you know, I think effectively what just wasn't what, it wasn't what I think the regulators had intended. Um, so unfortunately, you know, you know, it just didn't, didn't work out. The it just didn't work out the way that we, that um, we would have wanted, but uh, yeah, it just is what it is for
0: now. Okay, so that's more of a. Re- so did the actual bricks and mortar breweries have an impact on that, or was yeah. that was just like the government side?
1: No, no, no. I think I mean, look, like I don't, I don't blit fault anyone. I mean, ultimately, you know, there like there is a regulation system in Ontario, like I fully understand that. Yeah. Um, but I'm highly, highly confident that it wasn't consumers complaining that Lost Craft delivered beer to their house safely. You right. know. So I think it's just you you can you can kind of come to your own conclusion in terms of who would who would be upset
0: at that happening. Okay, I understand. So it was it was actual complaints is why that got shut down, not just a decision made by the government.
1: No, no, and I would say like you know the the government has been quite supportive. Like I I I think that absent, um, and you can understand like the dynamic, right? If you if you're sitting there and you you know, you made an investment decision, built this brewery, et cetera, et cetera, assume, assuming that you had this special provision that allowed you to sell retail. And now someone that didn't has that same benefit, anyone would be upset. Right. Um, wow. so I think that they're just trying to be fair and reasonable in the context of, you know, um, in the context of, um, the situation trying to be equitable to for everyone. So I don't, I'm not in any way bitter or I'm not faulting anyone. I just, I just hope like, you know, over time that, Um, And it's obviously like a temporary, you know, this is somewhat temporary, but somewhat permanent. You know, I think that Mm -hmm. certain things um, are not going to change anymore. I think consumer buying patterns have kind of been altered, you know, somewhat permanently. I think most people, you know, even my mom now shops at Amazon, you know, like there's, Mm -hmm. there are certain things that I think have changed that I don't think are going to come back anytime soon. So I do think that home delivery is a general premise is a really important thing, especially in the, you know, in the current, you know, in the current climate, you know, we shut down the store and, um, and had, you know, a lot of, uh, uh a lot of customers already reaching out, being like, we're, we're so upset, etc., etc. We really want, how can we, and, you know, our response is just, you know, we're, we're working on it. We, and we hope to have a, you know, a clear resolution, you know, a resolution for it, hmm. um, and, you know, by the end of the year.
0: Okay. Interesting. Right. I mean, I, I get it. It definitely makes sense. I can understand why people feedbacks so or whatever, but. I mean, there's just different, it's it's sort of, it's a nuanced industry. There's different types of businesses. And I feel like, yeah, it, it, we've talked about this at length and I don't want to go too much about um, contract brewing and stuff and people's attitudes towards it because it is kind of negative. I feel like back in the day at least, in like 2016, when kind of your impact was really being felt in Ontario and it was around the time that we kind of came out to and like if anyone followed that back in the day, we all kind of woke up and shit left and right. And I feel like a lot of people just had this, like you were saying, a complete misunderstanding of what contract brewing is. And it was this very purist attitude, which I find has kind of seen, I feel like I didn't see anyone talk about it anymore, which is a good thing. Well, is there anyone in the, the beer world, you know, be no Twitter and shit, <clears> which is good. But it just kind of, it's definitely a shame that people are still sort of harping on that in 2020, like family. If someone like yourself, you, you, if you weren't doing something right and you didn't care about beer, you would not be in business. End of story at this point. We've seen so many contract brewers going. Because they, you know, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to hustle, right? They didn't have good enough products, so on and so forth. <clears throat> so if you'd be able to do it at this scale, at this volume. You, you must, I don't know if you know this for sure, are you the biggest contractor in Ontario or at least up there?
1: Yeah, we're, we're one of the biggest, yeah, you know, but uh, but there's still like there's still a lot
0: of room to grow. <laughs> right, amen. No, no capital. Got a couple uh, comments here. Tiffany Alexa says, does LCBO count as well or just LC's online store? So are they allowed to sell your stuff? Really oh normally? yeah, yeah, yeah. LCBO for sure can still sell, um, still
1: sell a lot, um, for the products that they carry. But obviously, we have some products that aren't listed at the LCBO. Of course. Um, so, so yeah, but but um, yeah. So, that in in short, you can still get uh, the delivery from the LCBO. How have you been able to sell the other small batch products that aren't at the LCBO
0: during this time?
1: um we can't <laughs> so oh okay. so yeah so yeah so we're again we'll see how the situation how the situation all pl- plays out okay um you know it's unfortunate but uh, well, i mean we can't i guess sell we can sell to bars and restaurants and stuff like that still and they can um, sell full cans and shit now i believe with, with
0: meals and stuff right
1: yeah, 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 exactly. Cool. So
0: like um, but just really the, really cool. the volume discussion is different, it's a different yeah. kind of The, the one yeah. thing that people said to me was like, say before people were coming in, I mean, no, it's a different thing for you, but say the breweries, the, the bricks and mortar guys who were doing well, they had people coming in, buying a lot of stuff. They had the um, the wholesale doing well and the margins are better that way. But then now they're selling way more, um, you know, packaged product and the margins are lower, particularly when they have a middleman, because in Quebec, they have, well, the only way if you don't have, a similar to Ontario, I guess, you still have to sell it through, the SAQ doesn't buy anything, you have to go through the depths so therefore there's a middleman, there's a distributor and so on and so forth. So they're mm. selling more volume, the ones that are doing well, but they're making less money on the volume that they're selling, which I thought was an interesting, kind of like complete 180 of their business model. So they've had right. to kind of like maybe doing more work for the same, if not less money type of thing. Which is kind yeah, of
1: and I think that also, like you know, that whole, uh, and I was joking, because it wasn't just, you know, I heard from so many of my, you know, friends, just like buddies of mine, that are like, yeah, I mean, I'm working from home, not, not much to do, like, drinking every day. And ultimately, like, you can't do that for, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, I mean, you could, it's very unhealthy, and I would never recommend <sighs> it. But, I mean, you know, overall, like, it's not um, that huge pop that you saw, like, in March, April.
0: Um, I, I you know, and gradually it you know out.
1: faded and leveled off, right? So it's not; it wasn't sustainable. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, like it's, um, it's a, the the one thing that I will constantly, no matter what, the whole regulatory situation is for us. Um, you know, I feel much worse for you know all of our uh, you know a lot of tons of small businesses that we do business with. Um, you know, in the in the restaurant and the bar, you um, know, the bar space. Yeah, I'm sure you really saw sense. today again, you know, they, they, they tightened up restrictions in Ontario again because cases were going up. That, yeah. Um, people and the whole, the whole support system with commercial real estate is really tricky. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so you're really just, you know, just seeing, you know, small businesses, things that people have built up, uh, you know, with a lot of time, money, energy, et cetera, et cetera, just being decimated. And it's really, it's really yeah. sad. So, you know, well, I'm definitely not in a woe is me situation because I will, I will say like for sure, generally speaking, obviously, you know, we have great relationship with the LCBO. They've been an amazing partner. We sell in a bunch of grocery stores. We do a beer store still. It's not ideal. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, we have these other situations that that are kind of going on, but, um, but overall, I think everyone has been quite reasonable. Even the the regulators, everyone's been quite reasonable. uh, reasonable at, about everything and wanting just to understand this is like an unprecedented really crazy time and just trying to work with people about it. I think, yeah, um, the move, right? so, you know, it is kind of, it is what it is for, for us because I, I hate, I hate, you know, looking at our situation and, and when I compare it to others, sometimes it's just, it's not, there's, it's not the
0: same. So. Yeah, that sucks. That's a good point that it has been good. At least they have been good to you because I feel like it's, yeah, it's a new territory for everyone. There's, no one knows what the fuck's going on. Right? Exactly. Um, got a couple comments. Dan, you want to the next Yes, beer sir. from the left in the fridge. Um, Daniel was saying, funny, some of the best beers here in BC are contract brewed, and from what I hear, it's very supportive. Superflux, Boombox, Callister's incubation program. I guess Superflux just opened the space, but good point, and that's the weird thing. Like I feel like contracting is, like in, in Brazil, like Overhock, padding what they're telling us, like it's the only way that people brew beer for the most part. Thanks, sir. Um... But here, all of a sudden, it's a little funny about it. And Tiff is saying, yeah, contract brewing has no negative connotation anywhere else. We've traveled with the exception of Ontario. I feel like there's a little bit here in Quebec, um, but nowhere near to the same as Ontario. But I still feel like overall, it's never like... when we Because we, we started this podcast, as you know, with more of an Ontario-centric kind of thing, because Scott, when he was co-hosting, we were coming to Toronto once a month or so, so we were always doing stuff out there. We weren't doing a lot in Quebec or elsewhere. And as we started to expand... And I'd usually bring up contract rooms. I was always curious. And most people were like, yeah, yeah, cool, whatever. I was like, oh, you're not mad? Like everyone else is? I was like, no, no, no. I always just find that so funny. It was just Ontario. Ontario is such a wonderfully strange place. Um, because I... Sorry, just go on for it. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, I think had... Uh, it, it just goes back to like how you start the business. You know, like, um, I've always said, you know, if you... If I came to you and I said I have no, you know, marketing experience, brewing experience, et cetera, et cetera, but, you know, I need a couple million to build a brewery. I think most people would laugh you out of the building. Right. Um. So you know, the way that we, you know, we didn't, we did, Like I, you know, uh, first generation, or you know, my, my parents are immigrants, and you know, they they built a life for themselves in Canada, and we kind of, you know, bootstrap to start the company. Um, so, you know, we just didn't have access to, you know, a ton of money to, to start a brewery because I think we probably would have had we, uh, you know, had we, right. um, so I just keep contracting as a way to get into the industry, uh, and then prove your, prove your concept and then move, um, you know, likely into a bricks and mortar space where then now your cost of goods sold is much lower, et cetera, et cetera. The trick, you know, the issue that you have in Ontario now, like from, I'll say like from where we started to where we are now, um, a big like issue, I think that's a uh, general premise is, um, you know, just the Ontario, you know, beer, like the Ontario kind of brewing, you know, market you know, in our opinion is, is just way over capacity. Um, so it doesn't like the pricing that you can get as a contractor these days, um, versus building a bricks and mortar brewery. It's like, why would I spend million bucks, two million bucks, whatever it is. To build a brewery to produce beer at our volume level and pay the same price like it doesn't it just doesn't make you know logical yeah. rational sense um you me so you know at, at this point it's just i think a bit of an industry adjustment and like partnerships and figuring out like you know the right way to attack the industry like you know we're not going to build a brewery just to satisfy People to you know people to stop right. hating on contract brands like it's stupid. It's like yeah. I think for the average person, no one cares.
0: Do you know what the uh, funny thing is? None of these people who are commenting on it know jack shit about business, and that's really what it comes down to. Like, and that's what I've noticed in the beer and superior. People are passionate about the product, which I think is a beautiful thing. It's an art. It's, it's great and science. But then when it comes down to business, the vast majority of people have no concept of it, unless they're an owner and they see the numbers. But the average person commenting on these things who will they get for contract brewery. Really? They've heard someone say it. They're just parodying that shit. They don't know what they're talking about. It's, it's yeah. I've, yeah, at least it's kind of died down. Like, that was, like, the biggest point of contention, the biggest thing to hate on for a solid year or two. Um, <clears> I remember that being. And it was just super, like, uh, it's, just so, it's just so, like, small-minded and narrow. So I'm, I'm very happy that it's kind of moved on a little bit. But it seems like there might still be some in industry grips with it. Based on the
1: yeah, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it was, pro you know, I, uh, in my opinion, you know, it's propagated by, you know, in Ontario anyway, by the OCB. That's very pro-building breweries. Mm. Um,
0: you know, but for people who don't know is the Ontario Craft uh, Brewers Guild. Like the every province has their own brewers guild. Now there's a national Canadian one. So in order to be a member of the Canadian one, you got to be a member of the local one. And then the local one recently basically put their drew the line in the sand. If I'm not mistaken, we have to go into detail. But basically said we do not support the contract rules which is a very odd thing to
1: do yeah yeah exactly and this goes back to like us not having a proper voice or, or lobbying body you know within within the province but but yeah i mean it's just it's just the you know i think it's just a situation where the industry is really like figuring itself out rationalizing it was really hyper you know it's growing really quickly and then you know the as the as the wheel's starting to slow down then i think everyone's just you know a little bit panicked mm. um so i'm hoping that you know calmer heads will prevail and You know, an industry body will support everyone in the industry and not, you know, a specific set of, you know, people. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think my biggest thing, you know, that I've, you know, always said about this as a general premise is like, you can't, you know, there's like all these like fictitious arguments like, oh, you know, contract brewers are, uh, the beer isn't as good, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, it's very simple to say that, you know, the brewery that we brew at, you know, has a, you know, a lab that's probably, you know, with equipment that's like, you know, half a million bucks or something. The quality control out of our contract production facility is second to none. Like, you have global brand, you know, like, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a different level. something that we could never do. Mm. Um, like we, uh, with the, you know, amount of capital that we could kind of potentially raise or, or whatnot, like we couldn't justify the level of QC that we can get out of our contract brewing facility. So, you know, in my view, the the idea behind, you know, any industry body shouldn't have been saying, you know, everyone needs to be, uh, have their own bricks and mortar brewery. I think that they should have, you know, established parameters that said, everyone, if you like to be in this industry, you need to have these sets of quality control measures. You know, you need to, you need to run these tests on your beer. Like, you know, way more than 50% of breweries probably in Ontario don't have labs. You know, like you, it's like, it's not... Like that's the problem. It's like it's not it's not a problem of contract brands. It's a problem of general beer quality. So the question is like how do you make how do you make sure that as a general rule, when people try a con like a craft beer, it's good. You know that that it that it has you know decent shelf life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know it's not really a, it shouldn't be in my opinion just about like whether or not you have four walls and a tank in a tank in a you know
0: in a building. That is one of I'm writing this down for an episode name: "Quality Over Everything." Like that is um, that's exactly what it needs to be. Like I'm, I haven't heard that said actually better. Um, it truly is about quality, quality over everything. I write this shit down or I forget. Um, no man, that's that actually perfectly said. Because I'm, like I know your facility, I've been there; it's insane. They've got a uh, you know a dude who used to work at the Trap in Belgium as the head brewer, sort of overlooking everything there they're doing some exceptional things. And that's really what it comes down to. You're right. I, I just have not heard it put that way. That's in, and, and that will solve the problems. But I still think that like take for your, your, your unique set of, uh, set of uh, circumstances in that you don't have, you're not going to have the money for the same level of quality control. And you're probably going to pay about the same amount per lead or whatever, whatever it's calculated as, as, as far as the volume. But yeah, now you're going to have a big ass mortgage to pay. Um, or investors who want to see a return, like it's almost—I see it very common where people I know last year you know, you're looking at some brew pub type of facilities. Like that would almost make sense where you can experiment with your small batch stuff and actually give people an experience to get them into the Lost Craft brand. Then the you know the ones that are sort of uh, brewed on mass because they just have such a volume of demand. Excuse me, for LCBO and other distro can still be run right out of a contract brew, but you have this actual physical space where. You can can and package, you know, your specialty stuff. You can do some barrel aging if you want, and, or you can just do some crazy shit and release it just in the brew pub and you can sell it direct out of the fridges there. I mean, I think that's a that's just – it makes so much sense, and I feel like people don't understand what you just said. I think that's the real problem here is that that is not an understood perspective, and I find that kind of strange. I did not introduce his beer, by the way. This is – speaking of small batch, this is uh, Calm – this is the second version that I've had of this beer it's session mango session ale um, this beer got better every time I had it it is 4.1 uh, percent so it's nice and light I think you've used uh, actual mango juice um, mm-hmm. yes yeah, this is this was canned in June and it's tasting fantastic like it's super fruity smooth multi-balanced light drinkable but tons of flavor like I really like this one let me just pick up another beer for sure got a couple comments in the meantime. Uh, Dan is saying, um, "100% agree. Quality control is key. I mean, some breweries are putting out substandard beers, and that's a good point. I guess they're not testing it. And there's breweries who have big facilities who are putting out average beers. But then, the, the, particularly in Ontario, they're always picking on the contract. Look, there are a bunch of contract breweries with super average beers. But one way to you know fix that is the quality control. Uh, he also says obvious flaws like diacetyl and green beer probably should not have been made available to the public. Right." But they put the money up, people put the money up, and what are they going to do? Like, you can dash that, but if you're a contract brewer, that's just straight money down the drain. At least if you've got your own facility, it's easier to kind of recruit quicker, I, I would imagine, anyway. So therefore, maybe people who are contracting might be like, ah, you, they don't have any control over the beer. Or is that not true? Like, you, do you have any control over Oh, yeah, no, no, for sure we do. I mean, the
1: whole point is it's our recipe, it's our process, et cetera, et cetera. Like So we we have full control of the process. Yeah, my bad um you know i just you know it's funny like i mean obviously we are a contract brewer and it would be to our business for it not to exist but i feel like contracting is in general operates in this like gray zone okay. like in my opinion they should either allow it and it's just like any other brewery or don't but to do it in the way that it's being done to me is it's just a very You know, it's a complicated way of saying, we don't want you to do this.
0: (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like, so they try to put you out of business rather than just,
1: yeah. Like just rather than just say like, no, like we don't, if to order to brew a beer, you need to be a bricks and mortar brewery. Like that, that could be the route maybe that eventually that, you know, that probably not given how many contract brands that that, that exist. But I just mean in general, it'd be easier and more logical because you're right. I, I mean, but I have like done a bit of digging in terms of the whole, the whole system and like through some of the discussions that I've had, it's actually been brought up that it, it actually all flows into like NAFTA, which now I guess has changed into whatever the, the trade agreement is right. that, you know, Canada right. has with the U S and stuff because part, you know, part of it is it's like how the LCBO regulatory system works, how the beer store system works, what um, and, and frankly maintaining those systems, I think dovetailing like the whole concept was, if you want to sell alcohol directly to people, you need to make these big investments. You know, that was actually, I think, the intent. Mm. Um, and that intent flew, like, uh, kind of was driven by, um, you know, the structure overall in Ontario. Like, this wouldn't be an issue, in my opinion, like, you know, if you're in a fully private private market, like, it shouldn't matter. Um, but that? it's not, like, Ontario is a hybrid kind of situation with grocery, LCBO, beer store and stuff, so it's not um, – It's more complicated, I'd say. It seems like a simple thing, but like when you start doing your like a bit of digging, it turns into like a just an un un, you know what's that Russian doll thing where it keeps kind of popping. There's next, there's a next thing, next thing,
0: next thing. Yeah, pull and pull and pull. Layers. Yeah, I feel like everywhere in Canada is overregulated. Even in Quebec, it's obscene as well. And those are the two markets I can speak to the most. Um, coming from Australia, I've been doing a lot more podcasts and, and thinking out there. And the way that people work there, I feel like it's so much more lax. It's so much more chill. The taxes are obscene. Like a can of haze from my favorite brewery is about $14, $15 Australian. That's how they have to sell. That's it's like $60 four packs, right? Because of the amount of ingredients. But so much of that money is taxed. Like an obscene amount is taxed. So, mm. like they're they're able to do a lot more out there. It just seems like this overregulation of. You could even compare it to the uh, Ontario age limit. You know, the nineteen to eighteen here. The fact that I can go across the street to a gas station and buy a shit beer, but beer nonetheless, uh, or a supermarket and pick stuff up. I mean, they finally opened that up, but I guess they were all have specialty beer stores, which is the biggest way to get craft beer in Quebec. And I thought like it's almost like Ontario is so scared. I don't know what the fuck they're scared about. I guess just losing tax revenue through the LCBO or whatever, but just allowing people this freedom of choice. And it's like this nanny state of over, you know, not, not letting people be adults and just make their own decisions. I would like to open a store that sells all different beer and I could get it in there. Like they just won't let you do that. It's so ridiculous.
1: Yeah. But I think, I do think that in Ontario anyway, like it'll change because I think once the beer store um, agreements kind of lapse, my uh, my general perception is I think that there's going to be a pretty significant change to okay. how they structure it. because I, I mean I think that you know for all of the you know, uh, I'm, I'm Mr. Apolitical um, but I think that you know the the one thing that I think um, the, the previous government who was I think liberal and then now conservative the one thing that they've both part they have been promoting is like increasing access. Okay. Um, it started with grocery in Ontario um, and then. I think the Conservatives tried to get rid of the beer store, um, but that I think will never happen because of the legal structure that they have. Mm-hmm. But that beer store agreement expires—I don't know—in a couple of years, in five years, or whenever it is. Um, and I think at that time, you know, if there would, would be an opportunity to change things in Ontario, that would probably
0: be the do the time think to do that it. The owners of the beer store—people who don't know, like owners of the beer store—I think it's like Molson. Yeah, LeBatt the big ones and like
1: Molson, LeBat. It's a foreign, it's a foreign control. Sleeman, right. which is Sporo.
0: Which is supposed to be uh you know, local government owned, they sold it off to private equity or whatever. So I would imagine those people have deep deep pockets, deep <laughs> therefore they can lobby the ass out of the government to make to keep it as it is. So therefore it's going to be a fight. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think for sure it'll be a fight, but you know, I think
0: that eventually
1: I, you know, I think. Cause I think at the end of the day, everyone like the, you know those types of decisions, especially when they come up for renewal and stuff, are driven by what the people want. And mm. I think pretty, pretty resoundingly, the pe- you know people want better access. They want right. it to be easier, not more difficult. No. Um, so that's, I think, the you know the general you know the general um, the way premise being, that I think I mean, everyone's you look
0: operating. People marijuana now. Now cannabis is legal. Don't, doesn't Ontario have? I mean, in Quebec, we have. It's called the SQDC. And that's it. It's the only place you can buy it. Let's say uh, the same old, um, you know, the place we have to have a medical card, right? <laughs> so they've got like in Montreal, like three or four stores, but they do, they do delivery and it's pretty easy to get stuff.
1: In Ontario, right.
0: can't you have an independent store that just sells government weed, or does it have to still be like that OBS or o, whatever it's called, OCS? Well, how, how does it work? Ontario have,
1: they do have private ones too, yeah. It's
0: right. a mix, I think. There is Okay, so it's a mix. OCS is online and then the other one, I think. Right. I so know. then you can have well then that just doesn't it say why is it okay for what for cannabis, which is only two, three years. I think it was twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen. So two or three years old, that being legal. And then you've got alcohol it has been around legal forever, but then now they won't or oh, that's the problem. Like they, it's just so like you can't have one and you can't say this for this and then that for that. It's the same shit. Like it's, it's, yeah, that's a problem with government. And that's what I was kind of hoping for. There'd be a little bit more common sense during the pandemic. Like they'd be like, yo, fuck it. Let it it's capitalism, bro. Like let, I know Canada's more socialist than the States, but in a lot of big places are, but still like, let businesses thrive. Like you can't like strangle people right now. This is when you have to like relax all of these regulations that don't, like we were saying before, don't serve a purpose. They're not, they're not helping the community. They're not helping humans. They're just stopping businesses doing business, and right now a lot of you know, a lot of businesses need to keep afloat, and then you know, making it difficult. It's just so super whack. But
1: yeah, I mean, like I said, I think in as a general premise, I think um, you know, I think that the government, all governments, have been trying their best to figure. Out, like it's you know, I don't envy the situation that anyone is in, trying to come up with. Um, ways to help people in this in this time it's so complicated yeah like I've always said the whole si- it's like you know you yeah. it's it's one thing after another you can say that okay well we need to stop rents we need to stop people from paying rent because the, all the businesses are shut down but you know the people that are receiving those rents are also businesses they may have debt like mortgages as well so then how does that there's always wow. like a flow up right like it, it fundamentally Ooh. just goes to the entire system being put on hold, and that's, I think, the biggest problem is, you know, in this, in this, in this entire situation, um, whether, whether, what, I mean, it's obviously, a, it's a global health pandemic, and, um, you know, everyone is afraid. Um, yeah. It's been, you know, effectively like a self-induced uh, recession, um, and I think everyone is scared. You know, yeah. like so, in that environment, there's really no way to really reasonably help uh solve everyone's business problem because the only way you do that is just for the system to stop and everything to be free for, right like how you know, it just yeah. doesn't work that way mm, no um so so like ultimately mm. um i think everyone's just trying to do their best to you know survive and hopefully
0: you know be in business you know as this thing kind of evolves yeah that will say so a little bit of a pivot. Another thing that happened this summer, obviously, was the uh, social justice uh, stuff, and you know, uh, racial equity and things like that. It's been um, a bit of a uh, you know heavy topic around the beer industry, um, which makes me happy that it's been talked about a lot and people have been taking it a lot more serious. So, being that you've been on that wave from the jump, like that's you know, like you are saying, your heritage. You notice that you go into a brewery. You know, there's not a ton of people who look like you. There's just a bunch of white dudes with beards and stuff. Um, can you just maybe speak to? I'm gonna run for a quick piss already, but do you want to just start talking about, um, like, you know, how you've seen that change, and if anything, like, has changed over the last few months for you guys specifically, being that you were already you came out the gate targeting a group of people that. Uh, you know, breweries typically have completely ignored across the globe. Not even just you know locally or Canada or whatever. Like it's everywhere. Um, yeah, how have you seen that change since you sort of came out, or at least over the summer? Because I feel like it's got more and more awareness over the years, mm-hmm. but not. It's like peaked since June. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Like
1: I mean, I think that for um, you know what I what I think about the the industry, and I kind of had put out some, you know, personal pieces on, you know, on the, you know, experiences that I had being, you know, a visible minority and Lost Craft being, you know, one, it was one of the first and probably, you know, one of the first breweries that are kind of owned by, you know, a person of color in Ontario. And, know, even within Canada, that's, you know, there's probably, you know, we're not even aware of, you know, five. So, you know, I think we've always come at it from a perspective of you know we want we want to make sure that we're very inclusive because I think even for me coming before I started the company, I just felt like there weren't many people of color in you know ads and social media and et cetera, et cetera across um, you know across the industry. So you know, I think for us when when it's just it, this has always been a thing. It wasn't a thing you know, just because it became kind of in fashion um, kind of more recently. And, um, you know, my, my my general viewpoint on it was just more about uh, making sure that, pe- that people are, you know, authentic when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to if you care about that issue. Like, and don't get me wrong, there can be people that can say, I don't care, I, I just like the beer. I don't care about the people behind it. But usually in craft beer, everyone loves the story and loves the people and et cetera, et cetera. Like that's the whole thing. So if you care about, um, about social issues, and if those issues align with the breweries that you do business with, um, you know, a black box once a year doesn't mean anything. And, you know, my, my general view is, and then, and then also, I also don't feel like it's fair to like scare people into, um, you know, cancel culture style, like scaring breweries as well into, you know, not knowing how to respond because, you know, in fairness to some, like if you're, you know, a brewery in a certain rural community where there are very few people of color, you know, it's not reasonable to ask that brewery, like, why don't you have more people of color working in your brewery? Like, it doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense. So, you know, my, you know, my general view was just that, um, be consistent. Like, if that's what you care about, that's fine. But don't, like, don't pretend that a black box um, means that, uh, you know, a brewery is providing an inclusive marketing message. Right. And a- as I, as I kind of said, you know, the outside, whether it's staffing, whether it's who you see on their Instagram, or even just a, a, like a colored or, um, or something, it doesn't have to be just about, you know, uh, skin color. It could be about, um, um, you know, sexual orientation, etc., cetera, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of different things that it could mean. Um, But, uh, but yeah, overall, it's just, I think that the industry needed a gut check in terms of it's, uh, I think this happened more recently, I forget when this OCB debacle happened, I think a year or two ago, Mm. is that um, I've always said, I feel like there's a disconnect between the people Mm. who, um, uh, there's a disconnect between the owners of breweries and their consumers. Mm. There's, there perhaps is a connection at the, you know, at the sales level. But if you really think about like who owns it and who makes those decisions, um, you really have to have someone that understands your own customer. I think that's the one thing that we are being a small company, being nimble, really being you know young and hungry, and understanding who buys our beer. Um, um, and it's not even about understanding who buys our beer; it's about the the vibe that we give out and what we're about. It's always been consistent. Yeah. Um, so my you know my main thing you know within the industry has always been you know you've mm-hmm. got to expand the tent. You know, I've always said like the double IPA, uh, you know, the re-release and this other, you know, other stuff that I think is, you know, interesting for someone that's so specific in craft beer. But it's not interesting for the mass, you know, for masses. So I think it's like all about making sure that your the message that you're giving as a brewery really, you know, resonates and connects. Yeah. And I think it's just evident when you go to, um, you know, when you because I can tell you for sure, like people of color drink beer. You know, like, it's not like they don't, no, uh, but when you go to like, you know, it's it's when you see like places in the, in the heart of Toronto that, you know, don't, you don't see a lot of diversity in, in, in venues like that, then, you know, like, you know, that it's just not, you know, attracting wider audience, just generally speaking, in my opinion, isn't, isn't the priority of, you know, something like that. And, and it doesn't have to be,
0: but again, if you care about it's it, it's for the then, industry's best interest though. At the end of the day, there's only exactly. so many white dudes exactly. with beards you can have in that. By the way, before we keep going, tell us about that beer and show us the can of that one because that was one of my faves you have done recently.
1: Yeah, this is our um, yeah lemon lime sour called Quench. Called quench. Yes. Um, inspired as a, I call it like a sprite sour, but uh, but yeah, it's just super refreshing. Like, and I'm not a huge uh, as you know, I'm a pretty consistent lager guy. Although that actually is ironic. One of the biggest I think things of this podcast, it's new, is that. My palate is actually evolving into uh, yeah, a little more of that, uh, you know, wild ass stuff. So, um, but <laughs> yeah. it took you five years, but, here uh, but yeah, I love it too. Actually, this was this was my favorite beer that we that we launched in the summer.
0: So, um, it's phenomenal, yeah. man. Are you going to bring that one back? I guess it's kind of a summery kind of beer. That might yeah, we're
1: planning back. to bring it back next summer yeah,
0: again. Six, sick, sick. huge fan of that one, and I'm I'm proud of you because we've had moments. I, I can't remember if we talked about it before, but like. My favorite ever. (laughs) Can I tell the Bellwood story at Brad's party? Oh yeah, you can. Yeah. So
1: like,
0: (laughs) so like, (laughs) that's a good story. Actually, that's my favorite one. So basically, since you started, we became friends pretty quickly with this because we became pretty interlinked. As far as like, people were mad at me for saying the c word, and people were mad at you for being a contract brewery and making beers that were pretty. So. It was like this sort of thing from the beginning. And I obviously was into the more craziest stuff because by that time I kind of been through my gateway phase. I was well into beer, started the podcast, and so forth. So I was always kind of busting balls, like as I was getting into the haze and like the lactose. I was like, probably should do, you know, do a new England, do some lactose stuff. And you're kind of like, yeah, 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 shut up. So we're at my brother's birthday. I want to say it was like 20, must be 2018, 2017, around Wichstock, I think it was, to 2017. And Bellwoods just did a collab with Trillium called uh, Cutting Bells. So we they brewed that at, at Hayfuss Road. So we bought – we all bought, like, whatever, a whole bunch of it. So Brad still had some at his birthday in November. So you, we're at his house, and I was like, all ah, right, let me give it. Cause I never drank – I never made you drink this shit that, like, you didn't enjoy it first time. So we're showing it, we We poured the can out, and you're like, man, it tastes like cocaine. And then ever since then, I could not drink that beer without just tasting cocaine. For some reason, that beer fucking did taste like cocaine.
1: Not yeah. that I do. I mean, just to be super clear about this, like yes.
0: I'm not, I don't no. partake. You know what? It, <laughs> I don't
1: know what, I like the smell. I don't know what it is, but there's something about it. It was like this cho- Yeah, it was like chalky. That's what I meant. Like, it, was yeah, like yeah. it had this chalky taste. No, but it
0: had a chemically thing about it too that sort of tasted like some sort of chemical substance. So I knew what you were saying because I don't do drugs either. Like, I have in the past, but I don't. So, like, it was just really funny to me that that it was went from that. And then now I've been like, your first crazy one that you did was the Eclipse milkshake IPA, or it was like a lactose IPA, really, I guess. It didn't have vanilla. And that was really, really good. And then um, the summer stuff, so you got the Calm which you did the second time. And the second batch definitely was an improvement, which is super cool. You did the the quench, which was dope. Um, like, we'll get to the brute shortly as well. The brute was from, aside from the quench, the root is like I'm so impressed by it. I'll, I'll wait to go. I love that one because of, it's a style that we don't see out here. My friend Daniel was commenting season one of them in Vancouver. We didn't see that out here, so I'm very happy. That <laughs> I that. I'm excited.
1: I mean, I I think too. It's funny because I would say like that. That's that's the beer that I'm going to crack next. Um, oh, that is sorry. my. It's okay. my. I, I'm in love with that beer. Yeah. Um, Glad to hear that. And, yeah. But I'll show you like a funny uh, a funny story right now. Give me one second.
0: Yeah. Always rinse your glassware, guys. We always pour a little water in there, you know what I'm saying? Give it a little one, two. Swirl that bitch up. Keep it fresh, out, you know what I'm saying? So the next beer just takes too much like the last beer.
1: So I just want you to see this, right? Okay. So this is like, this is again, this is like what happens during COVID when everything just, everyone has their running with their head cut off and, and et cetera, et cetera. So this yeah. is the tray, right? For uh, for the brood. So you see that there? Yeah, it's Brute IPA. Yeah. Okay. Now, check out the other side.
0: So <laughs> I call this episode Burt IPA? Yes. So,
1: so, so yeah. basically, the story goes that that beer is actually the only Burt IPA in the world. <laughs> so it's like it's got the super uniqueness, fam. Yep.
0: Ain't nobody That might even be the episode name, bro. <laughs> IPA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bert IPA. You know what? I'm actually gonna do something different for the next one. I'm gonna do this one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then by the time you finish that, we'll probably catch up to the same beer. This is one that this is not a style that I personally like dig, but I'm very, a um, e- I'm definitely curious about it because when these ones are done well, uh, I mean, Belgian wits. I know we sort of we're in the middle of a like, diversity thing, but do you want to just really quickly talk to me about why you did this one? What the deal is? Like um,
1: it. so. It's like you know, it's one of the things that we started doing uh, because you know it's it's interesting when you start. This is one of the big uh, learning. Things that we um, that happened when we uh, started the online store, um, or like the online platform, I should say, is um, we started getting direct feedback from customers, right? Like we ne- and that's what I, I realize now, like that the biggest learning experience and, and everything is learning. I think when you when you're in an entrepreneurial setting, is um, is that uh, it's great, like knowing exactly who your customer is. You know, like that's why having the Google would be great because well, See people in the door will understand, you know, a little bit more kind of what's going on. But yeah, just one of the things that we started doing was, you know, when we started getting orders, like, hey, what what beer do you want to see, you know, us us make next? Okay, right, and getting that direct feedback, and then we started, you know, basically just making, trying to make, you know, some of the beers that are people that were big fans and supporters supporters of us uh, were asking for, and and like a wheat beer, Belgian wit was. Um, one of the ones that just you know came up, and uh, it's not for sure. Like, I'm not the the biggest uh, whipped beer guy, but that. it's a very traditional, easy to drink um, style. Um, so you know, it's uh, brewed very traditionally with orange peel, essential such as like coriander. Really, uh, really dope, and we're really like we're super happy with it. Like, we've gotten tons of people that just order that beer now. No um, shit. Has, has been, or we had tons of people that would just order that beer. All
0: right. I mean, it's 5%. Nice. uh, Got that, like, clovey kind of, um, what do you call it, Uh, spicy nose. Oh, okay. That's good. See, that's really drinkable. My problem with this, I just don't like all the spices Or when, like, a lot of Belgians have that. It's a little bit too phenolic for me. Like, you get that banana. I just don't don't really dig it. But this is sort of smooth, a little bit bitter. Nice and crisp. Really soft palate. Really soft
1: yeah, I found, mm. like for 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 that style, it's very drinkable. Like I can like I could not drink like a real like a whole garden like that style of beer. Like it's just not not, much. not that it's the same, but like like I'm just that's not my style
0: personally. I do, uh, but I can definitely you know uh, crack a couple cans of that. So hundred percent because this is the type of beer. Not gonna lie, if I sometimes I try these. Like that's a drainer for me. Typically, I just I can't do it. But this is great because it's balanced. That's all you need. And that's, once again, comes back to your kind of gateway ethos where you're like, you don't want to punch people in the face necessarily, at least with a star like this or be other beers that you're kind of going to be like balls to the wall, I would imagine. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is like a nice, balanced version of it. So that's very cool, man. I love it. Um, back to diversity, because so I did digress then. So being that over the, over the summer with the things that happened, so like, I mean, do you feel that like the breweries that are maybe starting to talk about it? I know some of them might have just done it from lip service, just to say they did it because you know there has been people yelling at breweries, which you know I don't love that concept because I wouldn't want people yelling at me. But I guess everyone has their way. <clears throat> um, have you noticed a sort of a, a change at all, or I guess because it's right in the middle of a pandemic when there's not as much physical uh, closeness with everybody, you might not have spoken to enough people. Like have, have people like uh, to be to give an example and i'm sure this happened to you a lot of people reached out to me slash us because i guess i speak on behalf of tiffany because of proximity like hey man how can i do this what charity should i get to what can i do to be better and stuff like that which i i found come from a good place because i think there's a lot of people having these realizations like oh fuck like this really happens like i've been more aware of it because i've been in hip hop culture and my girlfriend is jamaican uh of jamaican descent so i'm I have proximity to it and I got a lot of friends who are of all different um, ethnicities. So I'm sort of like sensitive to it because a lot of people I care about don't look like me. A lot of people don't have that. Like you were saying, if you're a brewery in the middle of nowhere, there's not going to be many people of color. Therefore the chances of you knowing and caring about somebody who doesn't look like you are going to to none. So have you seen a bit of a difference and, you know, do you find it's positive or whatever, whatever you've seen? Like what's your kind of take on it? Um,
1: I mean, my fee- I, again, I, it's not that I'm like, you know, we are we operate in our own lane, so we're not, uh, you know, we're not having, you know, in-depth conversations about it with, like, breweries on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah, true. I would say, like, the tone on social for sure feels like everyone's scared. Like, breweries are scared that they're going to get, uh, you know, outed and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, I, I, like, I genuinely, this is what I will say about this, I genuinely do not believe that the majority or a significant number or anything of breweries are like literally overtly racist. Like that's not, that's not a thing, you know, in my opinion. Right. Um, are, do, are a lot of breweries, um, you know, proactive in thinking about issues of diversity? No. Um, or at least before this whole thing, definitely not. Um, and as you know, you know, that there's like, um, Renee Navarro, I think from beer diversity or diversity beer thing. And like, there are people that are trying to kind of shine a light on it, but it, it should always, in my opinion, just be with an end goal in mind. Like, what are we, what are you trying to achieve? Um, and for me, the big thing is like, it's, you're trying to achieve, um, inclusivity in terms of, um, making, uh, people feel like uh, making all people, and it's not just like people of color, white, it can be white, brown, anything, or black, it doesn't matter. Point being is like it's just making um, your message an inclusive message and something that makes people comfortable. That's the big thing that I will say. Like I know, like when we have our own space, which, you know, hopefully we do um, in the future, you're gonna it will be a different experience than any brew, brew pub or brewery or anything that you see in Ontario. Right. That I can guarantee you. Um, because we just think of things differently. It's not, it's just not going to be your traditional, um, kind of, I don't call it boring, but it's just not going to be what exists in Ontario now. Your DNA you know, we've is, not, different.
0: is different. Your DNA yeah, exactly. is different. So it's like.
1: di- and, it, and it's not just about like, yeah, like you, we want to hire the best people. Um, um, you know, we would, we're not excluding people from, uh, you know, or any, any hiring process. We have, you know, a lot of women, you know, on our staff and uh, you've had other people of color, et cetera, et cetera, obviously. So it's not, um, we hire the best people, but we also think about, um, you always generally get, the one thing that I will say is like about diversity and why, um, it's important just to be culturally, like who doesn't want, you know, to be, you know, have an inclusive message. I think that's a weird thing to not want to do. Um, but moreover, I think from every business owner realizes pretty quickly, like having, diversity of thought and background helps your business. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, you'd be stupid not to, mm-hmm. you know, focus on those things. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and I also definitely feel like a big thing that I think is, is quite, like, uh, that I think everyone within the industry needs to kind of think about a little bit more carefully is like, it's not, you can't paint everyone with the same brush, like I said. You can't paint, um, you know, someone in a very remote area, the same way that you would paint someone in the heart not paint them, but the, the perspective has to change depending on circumstance and depending on situation. It's not all the same. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I just think that, you know, overall, we I think that the whole industry just has to do better in terms of uh, making everyone feel comfortable and making, and not just making everyone feel comfortable, it's like making people identify and resonate with these brands. Now, that's the thing that I think that, um you know very few in the industry are doing very well right
0: yes i think that's all all really good points specifically that they're not making people feel welcome and it's such an interesting thing tio from uh, you know crowns and hops in la uh yeah i think you mentioned before. i mentioned yeah they're good friends of al so like they he always says there's no craft beer like in the hood. you're not going to go to a a convenience store in the hood, you're going to find that. You're going to find, you know, 40s and, like, fucking malt liquor and and bullshit. So there's certain communities that are almost intentionally – I I bet if you go to an LCBO in an area that's probably a little bit more lower income, you're probably not going to find the same range of craft beer, right? And there's not going to – you know, it's just like the beer isn't marketed to certain people. But like you said, everybody has a palate. Everybody has taste buds. People of color have the best food. Everyone knows, actually. Like <coughs> the white, the colonists came and they took all the spices and didn't use them. So everyone knows, like you know, there's there's certain things that I feel like just breweries just don't think of because they've got a bunch of people who look like me lining up to buy the beers every week. So they're like, I'm good. I don't need to talk to anybody. But at the end of the day, like you said, if you don't walk into a like you walk on the streets of Toronto. You literally see everybody. It's the most multicultural city in the world. But if I walk into a brewery and everybody looks like me, I'm like, hang on a second, what's, what's wrong here? And that's not really what you want to see. You want to see some, a microcosm of what outdoors looks like. And to that note, what could you, so there's a lot of breweries that hit me up and they're super well-meaning. And it's been like, yo man, like fuck, I didn't really think about this. What do you think? Because we really represent that. We've always represented that from BAOS, being that Tiff's been a from the beginning. And it's something that we care about coming from hip hop culture. It's important to us. And, um, People about like what can I do? Like what can I do to be, to you know, be a bit better, be a bit more thoughtful um, about trying to in, you know include people. One thing that I suggested, just to put this out, I want to get what you said. Uh, I've told my friend here who owns a brewery, um, well, this unfortunately doesn't really work so well in COVID. But one idea was, all right, say so you want to tap into a community, say hit up a community organisation. Tiffany's mum is a Jamaican um, uh, immigrant; she's born and raised there she is a part of a Jamaican association and a lot of her friends are a part of that because it's something that, you know, people who are from, if there was an Australian association, I don't really give a fuck, but like, maybe I'd be a part of it. And you know, they have events and they do different things and they, you know, keep people a sense of community, particularly if people come over fresh, like, Hey, look, here's a bunch of people that can help you out, help you get a job, help you get started. So I was saying to him, like, why don't you hit up a community, whatever the, the, the uh, background, whatever the country is, doesn't matter. But it'd be like, yo, if you're going to have an event, why don't you have the event here at the brewery? We can pair our beers with your food and then, you know, really, un, you know, help your, you know, your community understand that there's are these other flavors. And then maybe in their minds, maybe they're the older folks and they'll go back and maybe they have a daughter, a niece, a son, whatever. And they'll be like, hey, you're looking for a job. Why don't you talk to that nice brewery I was just at? This beer is so interesting and so on and so forth. It just gets in their head because it's just a matter of education and just they don't know what's there. So how can breweries whether they contract or bricks and mortar, how can they proactively trying to get uh, tap, more tapped in to communities that they currently aren't serving? Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I think that's a great, I think um, engaging cultural, um, like engaging culture, like it's not, especially like where we're from, in the heart of Toronto, it's not hard to do. Like no, it's I mean. not, like there are so many different, throw a stone um, you'll hear the
0: different you know ones. exactly
1: like yeah. it's hard not to do it to be yeah. honest like it's hard not to yeah um but I, you know I jokingly say like I I would start, I start with baby steps okay. I'm like that's a smart way man you look look, so at, look at your social media yeah do you yes. have a person of color in your social thank media thank you thank you yes sir don't like I I don't even want to like have start that discussion until like you see that yeah. <laughs> you know it's it's it just it's just this mindset of um, uh, and don't get me wrong, like, not everyone has, like, it's, it's just more that, and I'm saying that in a way to say, start with, like, start small. You don't need, you know, but like I said, like, if you're a downtown brewery or, like, you're a Toronto-based brewery and you just, and, and that's devoid from how the messaging that you put out, that's, like I'm saying, it's like, you'd, you'd almost have to try to do that being in Toronto. You know what I mean? Yes. Different, perhaps, than some other places. But uh, but not in Toronto, for no, sure. No. So I think it's just like, it starts small, work big. I mean, and, and again, like, you know, I will also say like, you know, everyone isn't a social justice warrior, you know, like some people don't care. And that's okay. You know, everyone has their own, you know, has, has their own thing. I mean, obviously we have a, you know, a specific view that, you know, from my background and where I started the company, and what I wanted to do. And so it's important to us it doesn't have to be, you know, everything doesn't have to be super political or super whatever. Um, but I'm just saying like where, where I think that the discussion kind of breaks down is more about, um, you know, it's like attacking someone, you know, I think is, is not really the right approach. I think educating is a better way to, to, I think, um, get the desired outcome, which should be, let's make the industry better for everyone, you know, and that's kind of the approach that we would, uh, that we would kind of adopt like, Start with
0: the social. I, I feel like I've seen more breweries um, get involved with that and, and try. Sometimes it feels like maybe pandering or like force but yeah, I feel like others, it definitely feels more organic. It's a bit different. Another thing, maybe, I don't know if you've heard much about it, but the Black is Beautiful. Um, I, I, yeah, have you heard about that from Weathered Souls in Canada? Yeah. yeah. yeah so about 20 something high 20s in ontario got involved i think there's three in quebec now that are doing it which is pretty bad um but i think that's another good way as well because it's sort of brewing a beer that sort of takes a stand um and puts uh you know how you feel on the label type of thing and you know you give that money to a uh a charity that gives back to those specific communities which i think is dope um, and even if you don't get involved in that one cool one I saw I think they posted back today, Small Pony in Ottawa they do um, uh, barrel aged beers and they released a beer called Fuck Racism they didn't do the um, Black is Beautiful because they have barrel aged it's only barrel aged beers so it wasn't really their thing but they decided to do the same concept to be we like well, since we can't participate in it this is how we feel and to be transparent I know the owner he ran up by me beforehand and talked to Tiff just to get mm-hmm. feedback on it, but I was like, yo, it's perfect. It's, it's a big stance that we're nervous about it because it's such a strong stance, but he's like, I spoke to him today, So the, uh, the feedback was 100% positive, because who's going to say, nah, man, what do you mean fuck racism? Racism is awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. I thought it was yeah. a nice, strong yeah. stance, and it came from a place he was like, I want to do something, I want to be a part of this, but like, I just can't with the way my brewery set up. can't. So I like the fact, and I'm just giving this as an anecdotal example for breweries to you know, hear your ideas. I think the social media is the best place to start. But then, you know, what they did was just go straight to something that's a little bit more dramatic or drastic, and just be like, "All right, here it is. Both the It's well. fucking go. This is how we feel." And I'm like, "All right, nobody can argue with that because no one can without looking like a piece of shit." So,
1: yeah, I mean, like I think that. I think for sure, I think that um, you know, that's why kind of for us, like we were trying to figure out the right approach and the right partner because we've worked with. Like in the past, for example, we've done stuff with like the Christie Refugee Center, yes. Um, yes. Toronto totally. Foundation. Yes. So this is again stuff that we've been doing, you know, for years. Five years. Um, so we we're trying to find uh, the right, um, the right organization. That's why the Can- the CCDI, the Canadian Center for Diversity and Inclusion, we felt made so much mm-hmm. sense because the entire thing is about, um, you know, educating organizations on. Be having more inclusive hiring practices, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about opportunity, right? We're, we're trying right. to get um, yeah. everyone on kind of equal footing, cool. and um, and it starts with employers, in my opinion. Like it starts at that level of awareness to, to really bring in, you know, a, 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 you know, change. Mm. So, absolutely. I mean, if you can find, you know, those right organizations to partner with, um, that that you know makes sense for sure. I think that those are all, um, you know, really uh, really positive things. I just think that, yeah, you know, I think you're right. Like, it just can't feel forced. You know, yeah. it has to come from a place that, you know, you. I think that the one thing that I'm super, uh, I think that, you know, millennials in general, and that's a very broad, I don't even know what that means anymore, but you know what I mean? Like that. that um, We're in the top
0: end that, of millennials.
1: That group of people, uh, generally speaking, get a bad rap about work ethic and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think that the one thing that, uh, millennials have done better than like you know my and I, I might actually be a millennial so I'm not no, sure I'm but.
0: older than you and I'm a millennial I'm at the very yep. tippity top of millennials uh, okay, started go. right so and I think it's the mid nineties
1: but what I think that like younger people and like the new like people coming up I think the one thing that they do better than any other uh, group previously is um, is identifying when something's fake they can see it they see through it yeah. um, so you know i think like my main yeah as i said you know it started with baby steps but the the main thing is be authentic cuz if it's fake people are you're, they're going to expose you
0: you know it's 100%. like yeah it's going to sure. be real and it's got to come from that real place you are right it, it's it's so key it really really is and i think if if you're not sure what to do reach out i mean that ccdi is that a national um, buddy so basically anyone anywhere in canada can reach out to that that government buddy and get some advice and and maybe, you know, know what
1: they have the the biggest, like, um, they have the employer partners of pretty much all the big companies kind of work with them. They have, they offer a whole bunch of different things, but effectively like they come in and they kind of try to work on hiring policies on et cetera, et cetera, just staff training. They do, well, I mean go to the website, they do like a ton of stuff. Um, but, uh, but I think in the context of, you know, I think what we were trying to achieve with it, uh, they were the perfect organization to try to work with.
0: I love that. That's really good to hear, particularly coming from you, who's like, you know, like you said, your company has been about this life from the jump. Um, so people who aren't sure CCDI, look it up. I'm sure it's pretty easy to find. Reach out to them. Um, I think that's really you know, dope advice. So then I was just thinking before I kind of lost my train of thought. Fuck I was thinking about, no, okay, so you mentioned you've had sort of a few experiences even yourself now. Like, Do you feel like, th- as things changed even sort of like now, so even for you and sort of like anecdotally overall, do you, do you see a change? Like, Do you see that now people like, like the without naming names, there'd be certain, you know, more well-known beer writers in Ontario who initially were shitting on you and then did a full 180 apologize publicly and were like, yo, no, you're about it. This guy is about the beer industry. He's very passionate and the beer is fantastic. That was an, that was a big moment for I, I thought it was really good. It was like an acknowledgement by that old guard that had that resistance, that wall of like contract rules, are bad type of shit. So now you're you know you're a man of color in an industry that is you know um, um, traditionally all white. Have you have, have you seen a change because like people can't you're undeniable right now. Like no one can say Lost Craft isn't serious. Their beers aren't good that like you don't achieve this level of longevity in such a tough industry if you're not serious. Um, Have you, have you seen a a difference in the way that maybe people sort of like those early things where they maybe didn't take you seriously now, they're like, oh fuck. Like, and and overall have people sort of changed the perception of maybe that not just the diversity thing. Have you seen a change over time being that it's been your like, focus and sort of like the way you, the the vision of the world from the beginning of being what it is?
1: Um, I mean, you know, it's a little bit different from when, you know, we started and it's difficult to like really pinpoint. Like, I don't know that it's a diversity issue or an outsider issue or a contract ring issue. Like, um, but you know, I would like generally say, you know, and I think I'd, posted something about this and I think you'd, you guys had kind of responded to it but you know nice. effectively you know one of the things that I did like that, that happened to me you know when I started was I would go around uh, I had a beer in a backpack really hustling going door to door kind of selling beer and a pretty consistent thing that I heard was like well you're not the brewer like why are you in beer just at the outset and the reason is because I didn't look like the, like the typical guy that walks in saying that hey, I just started a beer company right so if you look like me uh, they wouldn't have said that to you yeah uh, well I mean, take that for what it's worth. And then, yeah, we know that um, nice. and then, and then, yeah. And then the other one was, um, you know, for sure for the, from those beer, um, kind of those notoriously, uh, infamous like quote unquote tastemaker craft beer type bars, um, telling, telling me that my beer wasn't good enough. Um, and, uh, it's the same beer that won best in Ontario saying that there's a better lager, you know, better lagerdales that exist, you know, et cetera, et cetera, It's like stuff like that, that, You know, you 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 can you can figure it out pretty quickly. um, That they just don't want to support the brand or don't want to support the business for whatever reason. Um, Again, I don't think that necessarily that's necessarily a racism issue or a or it's just because of the color of anyone's skin. But I think that Mm. um, there's an outsider element, you know, Mm. to it. You're not accepted. You're not part of the club. You know, you didn't you know mortgage your life to you know build a brewery and you're struggling to survive. Like it's not. You know, there, I think there's some people who want to get behind a certain type of message, and um, and we just, you know, those are my experiences. But, but I mean, as I said, you know, overall, like, we, you know, living in Ontario, living in Toronto, you know, obviously racism, racism exi- exists, you know, but, but Canada is a very open, culturally diverse, you know, society. It's not like, it's, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, the problem is... Um, that there's literally, you know, racism everywhere in pockets of everything. I think, but I, I think it's more the subtleness and, like, you know, there there are little nuances that I think that need people need to kind of be educated and develop and, and you know, be made better. You know, you know, you know, change things a little bit. So that that's my, you know, my opinion on it. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that I always joke about it's like, you know, big topic like spoken at, you know, the OCB for example, like like conferences and stuff like that. But diversity in beer like we haven't gotten one call about it and i think that's very odd you know right. like you have you know one of the um one of the only um you know uh brewing companies in ontario founded from a person of color yet beer, diversity in beer is a hot topic and we haven't you know heard from anyone about it you know you know what i mean like these are the things that i'm like clearly like that's very odd that is you, know, odd. you would you would logically think that we would be one of the first people that you know, would be, um, you know, spoken to or called upon to speak about something like that. Because, you know, as much as, uh, you know, the company was started on the basis of expanding audience, it was also started from someone that is very non-traditional in the beer industry. And that doesn't exist very much in Ontario at all. So, you know, all those things kind of Piecing the, all of those pieces together, I mean, this is this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Where, you know, I think that there's a lot of room to go. I think in terms of how the industry reacts. But again, perhaps that's competitive. I mean, you never
0: really know the whole story necessarily. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that. Yeah, point. I definitely get that. I know you're being extraordinarily uh, diplomatic, but like you know, the fact that. I, I think before you, I couldn't think of any. And then after you, I can think of one specific brewery only that I know has a uh, brown beer who's an owner. But every, anyone else off the top of my head, I can't think of any other POC-owned breweries in Ontario. So that is a little strange. And I guess that that, uh, I mean, the OCB sounds like they definitely have a problem with contract stuff anyway. So maybe they're not the best organization to be holding diversity. Huh? Yeah. Merit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Meredith, Tej is a good boy. Do you know Tej? Uh,
1: Maybe. no.
0: No, they're cool. They're in Hamilton. Um, I like what they do. I mean, think they're, they're super cool. And so. Oh, and, um... Mascot, right? Mas- oh, Mascot, Mas- yeah, of course. Mascot and, think um, and What's his name? Layla? Um, Taylor? I've never no, been there. No, one is the PR. Oh, Bandit. Oh, yeah, Bandit. Yeah. Fuck. I totally yeah. forgot. Shazad is It uh, was a funny thing. Yeah, I don't know if you know Shazad. His name is Shazad. He's one of the co-owners. He's, I think he's Indian. Um, he was friends with my cousin, so I was drinking with him at my house back in the day. Like, he right. was, And he used to just come by when I lived in Toronto. And then someone told my cousin, actually told me, Yo, yeah, Shazad owns a brewery. I'm like, what the fuck? Um, we had him on I don't know, a couple of years ago, but. Um, Either way, though, the point is, like, how many is that? Four? And we were struggling to come up with four. Well, that's Uber Eats. you, know, You know how that goes. Uh, 50% off, deal. Um, so, uh, yeah, like, that. that is very strange. I mean, is there anything that, is there any sort of uh, thing that you guys are planning to, to do? Or is it just kind of, like, keep your mission going and keep going? How are you doing? Like, are you trying to do anything specific? What?
1: I mean, I think it's, I mean, it, again, like what I'm saying, it's not forced with us.
0: So, you know, we're always, need to do
1: anything. um, you know, we get uh, obviously less so now cause like nothing is really going on in the world, but yeah. you know, we would always support tons of different community organizations. Um, we're trying to do something right now in region park. Um, you know, so there, there's just a lot of things that we do like, you know, in the background. Um, and that's, that's stuff that you don't see, like we don't publicize it cause it's just, that's what we're about. Um, the CCD, I think, I think will be a big initiative for us. Like that will be a very public um, launch uh, when we bring that out because we are going to be donating a portion of proceeds to CCDI. We're just working out the final details of it, but um, it'll be a big awareness um, campaign that we do for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, it's just it's just be authentic. I mean, that's the thing that I would just generally say about everything you do. Is If uh, if it's forced, it's probably not, like, it's not going to be received very well. So I don't think we're not going to change anything we're doing. We're not we're not more aware of, a, of something that existed because we've always been aware of it. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So it's um, it's just, uh, you know, from my perspective,
0: just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. No, I like that. I mean, that makes sense because, yeah, it's journey in the game is not much else. to any sort of, like, change for that. Um, so that's cool. Okay. I'll fuck with that. So then... Um, I guess because we're about to crack the brute next, um, I've just like I said, I've really just been like super impressed with your thank um, you, with your uh, the small batch beer to kind of pivot onto that now. Um, I'm really genuine about it, thank you so much. So this beer, Skyline the uh, the brute IPA, can you tell us why you decided to do a brute IPA in an, uh, in a region that like this? Do you know the history of this beer from, from social? <laughs> So, I know the history of all beers. I know the history of beer. Talk, talk to me about it. I talked to Mr. Beer. He's a good, like, busy guy. He's really good. <laughs> um, f- Educate me, C. Educate me. I don't really know a lot about it. There's a yeah. brewery called Social Brewing in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So I went to go there. We were in San Fran. In San Fran yeah. Tourists call it San Fran. Real mans call it SF or San Francisco. So I keep catching myself calling it San Fran like dickhead. Um... This particular style was invented there um, by one of the brewers, and when I was in San Francisco, I was so amped. I don't know a single human being and I know a reasonable amount of people in be and I've got a lot of friends in San Francisco now because uh, I have most of our clients are based out of there. and I still don't know anyone. so I, I checked their website, checked the, so, uh, the social media and messaged them and they didn't have the brew on when I was in town in December. I was vexed because I didn't package it. so uh it's a style they invented and they just added champagne yeast essentially um it starts with a the thing that's in it i forgot what it's called um and it basically makes it dry as shit and um it's a uh a style that kind of picked up it got a bit of popularity i want to say two years ago um spread out here out east around north america i had you know they had it in australia and across europe so it was like One of the very, very few, aside from maybe New England IPAs, like um, the few beer styles that were invented and came of age in our lifetime, where everything else has been around forever. And it just didn't seem to take, like Daniel in Vancouver, my friend has been commenting here, he gets these shits all the time. We don't get jack out here. So when I saw that you did it, you didn't tell me. Just like when we did the beer for this podcast, you just chucked it in and I was like, what the fuck? Like I never get them. And on top of that, this one is. 6.2%. 6.2%. Most of the brutes I've had, and I think this is a bad thing, have been 7 plus percent. And this is not the type of beer that can handle that level of ABV um, without having too much burning sort of um, alcohol vibes in the mouth. So mm. please, while I pull this up, tell us about it. Why'd you do it? Blah, blah, blah. Uh,
1: yeah, you know I mean, plus interestingly plus enough, like I would say like, if you think about styles of IPA, yep. uh, the brute fits our wicked because, you know, they're generally not bitter um they're brewed light they're sessionable um like the style is dry yeah um so it's it's actually when i when we well, as we're like going through like our product stuff and like what we're what we're trying to come up with this was actually one that was more a passion project for me i'm like i love i love the idea of this style it's also like technically roots like you know zero sugar very low sugar yeah so it's actually technically like a low-cal beer in a funny hey, way i'm fat right now so this is perfect. Uh, but um, but that's not really the intention here The intention it is like you know, not you know not overly bitter, still fruity, still juicy, still you can get a full body beer. Um, yeah, exactly like you see it. Like not not a haze bomb. And I know you've been you know really on me to, to haze it out. But as you know, like there's a lot of breweries that make great hazy beers. It's not. Um, uh, not, more and, and we will probably this. do some yeah. in the future, but it's just not uh, was something that I thought that we would execute well to start, and we're still developing stuff. But I agree with you. Like I love uh, that's that's uh, it's a killer beer. Like I'm, I love it, bro. I'll, I'll put that beer against any you know IPA in general, and uh, for um, it, again in terms of you know accept, uh, accessing a bit of a wider audience. If you like that strong style beer, uh, but you want something that's you know approachable, balanced, etc., etc. You can't go wrong with the brew. Like, I'm, you know, cautious, Or the bird,
0: Whatever. whatever, you <laughs> do, whatever you want, hey, Burt IPA. You Unfortunately, it's IPA. spelt correctly on the cans. So yeah, yeah. If it wasn't, that would have
1: been, uh, been a,
0: another nightmare. <laughs> that would have been a classic. I'll
1: the can. I will say, probably my
0: favorite oh, uh, yeah. can that we
1: made. That or the the sour. The sour has a really nice little. I little really like good, the sour. But, uh,
0: yeah, this yeah. can is like, we're super proud of. And you should be. It's it's glorious, man. Um, it's nice and balanced. It's bone dry, just how I like it. Um, it's got a nice tropical floral hop uh, bouquet happening here. Do you are you able to say or do you know what the hops are? It didn't say on the can. I was I did a one minute beer review of the other one, um, but I did I didn't say what the hops are. Do you do you know off the dome without making you go look shit up? Uh, I'm just curious. Don't
1: have it in front of me, okay. um, but uh, we okay. also kind of generally try to avoid uh look. publicizing that stuff also respected. Uh, but uh but yeah i mean generally speaking but like, we wanted to have it that have that air of um that like very floral citrusy kind of um taste profile like um, but still have like it's interesting because i always compare i like comparing this style to uh like apas and stuff like that yep. uh, because it's um similar but different like probably like same level of bitterness completely different style, much more dry, um, but you can get, I mean, the way that I look, I feel like it has the same drinkability, uh, but obviously being actually full-bodied, yep. you
0: know, like six, you know, 6% alcohol
1: period. I'm going to get it myself. Yeah,
0: grab them. Um, yeah, guys, like, I'm really a big fan. I don't know how many brutes any of you guys might have had, but this is just an exceptional example of a brut IPA. Um, genuinely love this beer. I like, I like them as well. It's got a little bit of that chill haze type of thing going on. Like it's, I'm kind of almost over. By the way, I don't really like – I'm actually more leaning towards like dry hop lagers and like pilsners and all that shit right now, like more so than haze and kind of have, don't have the palate as much for it. But this is like such a treat because it's just something that isn't commonly around and it's, it's just so well done. I was really impressed because I feel like no one knows what a brewed IPA tastes like. Think about that. I don't know anyone who's had the OG. So who knows what the fuck a is supposed to taste like? Are they they going off a recipe online that they put online or whatever? That's it. There's no additional information about this beer. So everyone making it doesn't know what it tastes like. and So no, none of us who are drinking I've had I don't know, a solid 10 to 20 different brews. Uh, whenever I see one. I always get it because it's very few and far between, to be fair. Um uh, this is really fantastic. Is this going to be something that, do you think this will be something you will keep keep it coming, even if it's not just the summer? Yeah. Yeah, we think so. Like, we're, um, we, like, we're literally,
1: it's just rolling out. Like, this week was the first week that we started. Oh, uh, shoot, so we got this early. Um, like, well, you, you got the, like, we were selling, we started, um, you know, through the, through the online platform, and then now it's rolling out to the LCBOs. Nice. Um. Good. And grocery stores, actually. So, um, so yeah, I think what our intention is definitely to to bring it back because the the response so far has been pretty uh, pretty phenomenal um you know phenomenal better.
0: Yeah, and it should be. Um do you know it's probably a larger question do you know if there are any other group IPAs available in the LCB? Huh. I shouldn't.
1: Uh, it's always tricky because like you with the seasonal stuff you never know. Um right, it can come but know. uh I just. Don't one of, think I, I will say, like one of the reasons you know when we were, um, you know, getting into it, one of the things we also said was that there w- there weren't any, you know, when, or there were, maybe there was one I think last year or something, but there weren't many of them. So, but that doesn't mean that other breweries couldn't be putting them out, you know, this year. Uh, but you're right, like in Ontario, it's weird. Like there's obviously like New England, there's like a million, you know, but that the brewery, for some reason are. not you know not as many. Yeah, but at the end of the day, like also like in terms of styles, I think it's always like. The whole, the funny thing about like true to style um, is like interesting to me because at the end of the day, like you got, you have to always remember like craft is about creativity. So you're kind of like taking a style and making it your, you know, your own. It doesn't have to be like exactly brewed in the exact way that you're just replicating something. There's no, it's not interesting, you know, just to make the same beer. You got to do something different um so uh, you know again going back to like my beefs with like um people that, that are super opinionated about beer it's like yeah, yeah well you can say it's not the question yeah. is do you like it yeah, at the end of the day with all, <laughs> all this stuff like, is it good know,
0: like, yeah
1: is it good yeah you know could you drink another one cool like you know nitpicking about you know some obscure bullshit is not you know again it goes back to like the anti-inclusivity of the industry it's like this is what people
0: don't like yeah it's like that kind of stupidness I, I guess if everything was true to style there'd be three styles of beer since like, exactly. you know before the Brutal wouldn't BDA. even exist right it wouldn't the exist at all the
1: was created
0: accidentally on the basis of
1: innovation yeah and exactly like, you know what I mean Dang, like that so that word
0: is key we joke about that all the time like with a bunch of beer nerds like other beer media guys I always talk about we always joke about innovation because there's a bunch of people that don't fuck with innovation, and I bangs with that heavy because innovation is what makes it interesting. If it wasn't for innovation, we wouldn't have milkshake IPAs or brood IPAs or even New England. Because then IPA was this British multi shit. Then if the Americans didn't get to take, you know, the West Coast IPA that came from that, like if they weren't innovating and been able to change it, and Sierra Nevada changed the game. And if and I had that recently as well, and I was so impressed. Have you had a Sierra Nevada Paleo recently? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love, I love that beer. It's great I, beer. I hadn't had it for years and it was, I had it like two weeks ago and, and it was insane. I was so impressed. I was very, very impressed that it's just such a well-made beer. So all of this innovation is just so important. And I understand purist shit, like the Orion's cobalt stuff and whatever you say it, like, you know, the four ingredients for the German styles and stuff. And I've been enjoying, to be fair, I have been enjoying a lot of Quebec brewers in the last couple of years. I've seen them go to before COVID, go to Europe, go to Prague, go to Bavaria, And go to Pilsen and and check out all that shit. Then they come back. And there has been an onslaught of um, really, really well-made Czech-style Pilsners and Lagers and German stuff that is like on point but still unique for here in Quebec. Because we don't get what you guys have got. That's why I I, I always fronted on Quebec because we didn't have everything. And lately, Quebec's been ticking all the boxes. I'm very impressed. But at the same token, I agree with you because, like dry hop lagers, like if you had to keep it the same, you wouldn't have anything dry hop. You wouldn't have anything interesting like that. So, innovation is literally the uh, the the what's keeping beer alive.
1: Yeah. and I will say, like one of the things that for us, I, I think that you know we definitely got into you know some of the unique stuff. I think that um, while while I don't think we'll give away all of our kind of 2021 you know innovation stuff. I think yeah, bringing it back to loggers is going to be a big focus of ours for us, for sure.
0: Nice, nice. You had – didn't you have a dry hop lager one time, or well, there was one of the early batches of – Unify. Unify. Is, Unify has a helped. dry hop lager. Okay. I haven't had it for a minute, but I remember early on it was like I, – because I got to taste a bunch of the test batches. I remember one of the early batches was like dry hop to the shit house.
1: Oh, like, yeah, super. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was, was very – Bring your back because I'm going to need it for the photo. I <laughs> 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 <gonna> take <laughs> photos. You know, let the mad damn know, photo. you know.
0: I sort of forget Sorry, give me one second. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Everyone has to take a piss at some point. I'm gonna have to go for one after you're huh? home. can you just take care of the podcast while we all take a piss? <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany gave you that look. Like you I'll keep think. talking. I'll take. Yeah, luck. Dan, you got it. I'm ready. No, you're out. Right, you're out. Right, you enjoy those match <laughs> Um Yeah, man. I just really think it's important innovation. Like I know we sort of kind of moles about it, but I just really think it's it's genuinely important for the future of craft beer whilst dedication to some pure stuff, you know, nailing, like I said, I've been, man, there's been so many good breweries in Quebec. I've said this a few times, but Quebec is my new favorite place in um, in Canada for craft beer. I think it's uh, exceptional. Everything's being done well here now, and, uh, you know, innovation is is behind it all. It's, it's continuing that innovation culture there. I also need a slash. Um, so what can you tell us as far as, like, if, if is there anything else coming out this year?
1: Uh, yeah. So we have one of the next beers. That I'll crack it. It's, um, about so we, we did do, um, the other, uh, winter seasonal that we have coming out is called Risen, um, which is, uh, it's, a, a Amber Lagerdale. So it's actually like based off our revival, like our flagship, uh, original beer. Um, but it's, uh, an Amber version effectively. So it is like a start of uh, some of the new lagers that we'll be, uh, coming out with next year. Is that like Crimson then, or no? Um, Crimson still exi- like Crimson still um, is is part of our lineup. This is a, bi- a newer beer though for us.
0: Oh, Craig's taking a slash. Um, oh, so- I- about like what's the difference between this one and Crimson. What's the difference between this one and Crimson? What would you say makes this one unique?
1: Uh, the yeast for sure. Um, uh, it's using a cold yeast. Um, it's just a bit more, you know, obviously like the, like the traditional English red ale is, um, going back to talking about innovation, right? Traditional, like the crimson beer is brewed very true to style. Um, English, in, English red inspired by, you know, Sam Smith and some of the like a tr- very traditional kind of uh, British uh, English breweries, um, risen, uh, is you know think I, I always joke it's like take revival and crimson they make a baby that's risen um mm-hmm. you know it's a true uh, true clean crisp uh, amber lager, um, lagerdale obviously but uh, but definitely like a unique uh, unique uh, you know within um, within the craft beer space and then kind of consistently on this new wave of uh, bringing it back to uh,
0: some unique lagers. Interesting. I love that, man. I like that, it, that you know brings sort of like you've started with that crispy boy type of vibe, and you've sort of like gone on this journey now, and you've sort of dabbled with a bunch of the stuff that maybe you weren't into initially. But then we're like, I right, fuck it, let's do this and this. The brute, the wit, the, the mango, the sour, blah blah blah. And then coming back into maybe you know, maybe I, would, yeah, I would hope, guess that you're sort of reimagining some of those uh, you know, in different approaches to, to that, which is uh, exciting. Um, I guess we might as well talk about it now. I might even just crack it at the same time. The Tejado um, tequila drink uh, is super interesting to me because I remember you went to Mexico last year to you know, research all that stuff. Do you want to tell us the story behind all that? Because I actually don't know it. Like I'm being very curious to, to know. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that, you know, as you know, as you as you, you know, as you think, as everything kind of evolves, and I'm sure you, as you know, like you know when um, we can only drink so much beer, you obviously sometimes dabble into some other other stuff, and um, I've always been like a uh, you know big you know big tequila fan, and uh, one thing I always noticed was you know there aren't that many tequila kind of um, you know ready to drink kind of products, um, and then also like a close friend of mine, one of our partners, uh, Chris, kind of really was talking about it, saying like you know what. Like tequila soda, and like that concept is is is, is growing really big, um, but they're just it's just an underserved kind of market. Um, so then I kind of got into the research ab- about it and, and realized why and the reason why it's so it's not very it's difficult to get into is because like tequila to 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 do anything with tequila is very complicated. Like it's not easy, it's not simple um, because tequila operates like champagne. Like there's a lot of regulations around it with Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh, so long so um, yeah, so story short, is that it turned into this like hilarious fact finding mission, and um, it uh, resulted in us finding some you know interesting distilling partners. Uh, had an, had a, had an amazing trip to Mexico, um, which my wife now wife uh, I, I classified as a work trip, but it definitely had a lot of fun you know involved in, in Guadalajara. But, uh, cool. but yeah, I mean, we, we went down there kind of really with this like tequila education platform in mind. Cause I do think like one of the unique things about tequila, it's like one of the, it's like the purest spirit, one ingredient, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a whole bunch of, you know, facts behind it. Uh, the only upper, you know, within the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like a very unique and interesting, um, I think spirit in general. Uh, and yeah, then, what? um, Opera. and then, yeah, the whole Opera. idea kind of, you know, behind it also was kind of like in a similar vein to Lost Craft was, you know, we felt like the tequila market in general, you know, is super celebrity focused, right? Like, it's like, who's, which, what's the new celebrity today that, uh, that owns this tequila company? The Rock or, or I mean, whatever. And, um, and our, our joke was like, it was like this whole idea of like, it's just friends. Like, uh, like Dahado, what it's about is like enjoying tequila with friends there is no celebrities involved. It's just like you know, accessible, great tequila. Mm-hmm. We're hoping that uh, we launch our um, our bottled product next year in Ontario, nice. um, which uh, 100% agave, really great, super super pleasing tequila. So we're you know, I mean that gets done, but that's like the next step with that. But but yeah, like it's uh, it's another thing, right? It's like you got to keep moving, got to keep innovating, uh, try different things. You know, I always joke, like, I th- I feel like, you know, one of the things, as the industry's evolved, it's very interesting to me. Like, you know, I'm not going to name, like, names of brewers, but if you actually think of how craft beer started, some of the beer was actually terrible. Like, legitimately oh, terrible. Like, Didn't I can you tell you... Inventory. Yeah,
0: it's not good.
1: Um, you know, when I was in university, you know, we were, like, we had tasted, like, um, uh, kegs from uh you know one of the biggest now and which says sold to a multinational uh craft beer companies in ontario mm. when they started the beer tasted like soap like it was literally terrible terrible beer yeah. um but obviously like as things grow and you evolve and you you know refine processes cetera, and like you can make great products so it's like the interesting thing to me is like those companies all like grew and survived based on trial and error etc cetera, etc cetera. And it's like, I do feel like within how the industry's evolved now, it's like, if you're not, ma- you know, if you don't make a double award-winning gold, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, double dry hopped something or other, you're, you're not good enough. And I'm like, look at all those companies that did massive rebrands, that had like archaic branding, that had mediocre beer, yeah. that just evolved. And, you know, so it's just like, for me, it's like, just an evolution it's just a process right. you know
0: how do you continue on with that process interesting and that sort of inspired you to kind of like step outside the, the yeah like you got to do different
1: out- things right like you know the safe safety you don't you don't start businesses you're not entrepreneurial if you're just about safety you know like ultimately there are going to be wins there's going to be losses just mm-hmm. the objective is more wins than losses that's all
0: i love that i love that why did you choose a new brand and not keep this under Lost Craft and make a Lost Life RTV brand? Uh, I
1: think it's because, I mean, I believe, you know, fundamentally in authenticity. And I think that the stories are a little bit different. Like Lost Craft is, you know, is is is, is about beer. And then we do cider too, but, you know, because they're very similar. Ooh, right. um, uh, tequila is not, yeah. <laughs> you know. Last craft to kill it doesn't make this doesn't doesn't fit doesn't, didn't make sense to me um, and as we were kind of thinking about the process so um, so yeah we just elected to I mean obviously related company you know related sales and marketing team etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but uh, we felt like we love the name Dajado there's a whole bunch of like stories behind it but and lovely can etc cetera, etc cetera. but yeah just it just felt like it made more sense um, to be done as uh, as a separate and you know we hope to launch more spirits, etc. so down the road, and those will all, those will all be separate. Like, we're not going to do Lost Crap Gym. Like, I think that that's corny. You know, like, I don't I don't think that, I understand why certain people do it, um, but I just, I don't, I like, Doesn't I just don't, I, I feel like going back to like, authenticity behind brands,
0: I don't think that it, you know, makes logical sense. Okay. What does the harder mean? Does it mean anything like specific? <laughs> that's the other thing. The kind of, Loosely means like,
1: uh, and I'm going to butcher it because there's context in, in how you say it, but it's a fact It's kind of a loose meaning of lost. That's kind of actually a part of the story. Uh,
0: de, uh, Desde, is that French? Desde, I think it's, I used to learn Spanish back in the day. I was obsessed with it.
1: No, it's like, it's like, oh, like he, you know, he, I might be butchering this exactly, but it's like, oh, he had too many dejados,
0: he's dejado.
1: Like it's like lost, like not like, you know, like an aim. Like it's just like a, it's like a play on the word, basically.
0: Gotcha. That's it. Okay. So there's like there's actually a, you know, a thought process around all the, the Spanish behind it. I think it's super dope, man. Um, it's it's super tasty as well. It's got like a super the lime flavor in it is that is heavy, um, and super balanced. Like, dick old calories, right? And no sugar. Yeah, exactly. One hundred twenty
1: calories. Look. Um. So yeah, super. Good to add a little so bit of On wine. hangover. I mean, that's the thing, like, the joke, and you can't, like, claim this, obviously, but uh, I can tell you for sure, when you go to Mexico, like, the one thing that, that, I guess, the one misconception I would say about tequila, and everyone has their tequila story, right? Close. Like, oh, blah, 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 worst hangover, threw up, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. But the interesting thing, actually, about tequila, if you were to only drink tequila, you will... I won't say, say, I'll guarantee you, but I, I will tell you that more likely than not, when you wake up the next day, you'll feel very different than had you been drinking beer, bought any other spirit, mixing stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to only drink it. Mm-hmm. And ideally, I mean, generally speaking, also, you should only drink um, that kind of stuff with uh, without sugary um, mm-hmm. mix. So, like, you know, if you're drinking, like, sugary margaritas, it's a little bit different. But you're drinking, like, tequila soda, that kind of thing, or... Uh, in Mexico, they do a lot of couple shots, shot of tequila and a glass of water, or whatever it is. Um, you don't feel it the next day. And the other thing too, like I call it being tequila, like too many tequilas. If you're just on tequila, also it's a very unique feeling. It's not like being like super blitzed out or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's because it is an up. It's a, it's a different type of feeling that you get. Mm. Um, so I just I always like joke like everyone should just try it because the thing is. I think tequila has a very bad rap because it's always like the end of a bad decision. It's like oh, you have a bunch of bad decisions <laughs> You're like, during a tequila
0: night. Tequila let's go!
1: And then it ends on like an even worse decision. Mm. Um, but had you been making more appropriate decisions the entire night, You'd
0: be good perhaps
1: that. that you know it
0: would be a little bit different. Interesting. So. If one was to only drink tequitos all night, do you one get that same buzz that you're talking about? Because it's only tequila, and then two, I guess the hangover is pretty good. Or yeah, because there's no sugar. In, and again, if you put a little bit of lime, extra lime, if you're really into that or whatever, or some stuff in there. I mean, it doesn't really need it but if you wanted it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that would okay. add a little
1: bit of sugar, obviously, but uh, but yeah, if like it wouldn't, I would just generally say like it's very very low. I mean, a splash of lime is like a tiny amount of sugar. Like it wouldn't wouldn't do wouldn't affect it. But if you added your own, like just you know,
0: typical thing where you just squeeze a lime into it, okay. Yeah, I've noticed that. Look, something we were talking about earlier, like um, over the uh, over the pandemic, and over the last few years, I've noticed I've been putting on more weight than I anticipated because of the volume of beer, and I, I hit a, <laughs> a a devastating uh, uh, landmark. In the last week, but this is interesting. So I think it was Saturday or Sunday. I weigh my—I never weigh myself. We were trying to gauge how much water we're supposed to drink per day. You need to weigh yourself. She's like Tiff's like, what are you weighing? Like, I don't know. Like, let me check because I never do. I don't care. And I weighed myself and I hit a number that was very concerning for me because I don't. Care. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. And I told Scott and my other boy Craig in San San Diego. I was like, yo guys, I just hit this number. I don't want to say it. It's embarrassing. And they were like, bro, you weigh more than us. And they're taller than me. And I was like, they're like, no, no, no. So this week, even since Monday, I've been doing this workout program and I cut, I used to, I, I really enjoy sweeter, sweet tooth. And obviously I drink a lot of beer. So I cut down the amount of like, I have one cookie a day with my coffee. That's it. I used to have more than some desserts and blah, 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 and other shit. And uh, now I've already lost like three and a half pounds since Monday. It's Friday. And I've been just, just from mostly diet, I only worked out three times in this like real basic way. So to me, if you asked me last week, is this zero calorie appealing? I'm like, yeah, it's cool. It's different, but I've always got too much beer to drink. And then now I know what the beer does to <laughs> the body. This is very motherfucking appealing to me because it's flavorful. It hits the spot and it doesn't make you fat. And that's why I'm about that life. And I think beer people also, you know, the beer people like someone like me, I'm like bowls deep in beer. I never get to drink anything else tiff gets a reason you know even the first time the last time we were supposed to do the podcast and we got some of the other stuff so i kept the calm from the last one but i tried this tiff enjoyed it but i was like oh yeah i, I could drink it but I, oh, I have to get this beer stuff done so i'm always leaning towards that but now i feel like i I'm, I'm more interested in a balanced drinking i want to say diet so it's not the right word but i want to balance it out a bit more and this is definitely the type of thing that's interesting to me because it's flavorful. Like you said, I'd love to just get drunk off this and see what you're talking about. Cause it's the first I've heard about tequila. I don't
1: advocate in getting
0: drunk ever. Cause excessive drinking is wrong. It's terrible. Oh, yeah. But here on BOS, we you don't give a fuck. Uh, in, <laughs> but,
1: uh, but yeah, I mean, I would just say as a general, it's more about uh, segmentation. So I would say like, it is a different feeling a hundred percent. And I fully would say, especially cause enjoying tequila culture uh, is is so fun. Like going to Guadalajara, going to Blisk, where, go, checking out the distilleries. It's like such a cool, unique um, experience. Like I strongly, strongly recommend um, trying it out. And even in terms of barrel aging, you know, some of the stuff that we're like trialing and considering is like some tequila barrel aging stuff,
0: which nice. is super unique. we should be great. For, oh man, the quench in the tequila barrel. Ooh, my gee That would be lit. fired
1: up. Be Bro. fired
0: up. I love that. Now, just hit me. Now, is this something that you can do distribution nationally because it's outside of the beer world and therefore it might be a different.
1: Yeah, we can sell that. So yeah, I mean, we're hoping to bring the Hado to other provinces for sure, and even yeah. in the US. I mean, I think that yeah, it's a unique. Uh, you know, it's a unique product for sure. So we're just, we're exploring all of those options right now.
0: Yeah, I love it. Wow, my friend Stefan used to be our neighbor. He's a big YouTuber. He said, "Yo, fatty." <laughs> so fine, don't drink as much beer with me. Drink more, the harder, 0%. Um, I'm getting unfat. Yeah, it's so
1: funny, like, I wanted to, speaking in that vein, so, because I just saw an article that just got published in The Star um, that was not very positive on, I, I think you've, you might have seen these electrolyte beers that have come out recently. Have you heard about it?
0: No, what are you talking about? Yeah,
1: they're kind of like marketed as post workout kind of beers or like more refreshing or more thirst quenching or whatever. Like okay. the way that I, I mean, I don't know much about it, but I know about like the, the concept being kind of think of like Gatorade plus beer. It's so, like something, something like that where you're like, okay. oh yeah, this is the great post-workout added salt, whatever it is. I, I'm not sure the whole thing, but effectively it was like a discussion with someone saying like, actually, this is not materially different than a regular beer. Like it, there's, there's no there's real no difference uh, effect.
0: So I guess you haven't seen it. No, um, I haven't seen it. Like in the Toronto stuff. Yeah. To stuff. Like it came up today. I think. Today or yesterday or today. All right, I'm gonna look for that because I've never. I've seen like almost what I would consider joke articles about ideas and stuff. I've never seen something that's like actually a thing because that is very strange that uh, somebody would even do that. But I guess now people are becoming more because of the pandemic. People aren't moving. I think that's also what even happened to us or me. Like we're not moving like we. Used to we used to travel a lot. Now we're barely leaving anything, and we're trying to go out of our way to make sure. Like this weekend's about to be lit. Like twenty seven degrees in Montreal Saturday and Sunday. Like this is it until fucking April or May. So we're like trying to make sure we get out, and walk. But that's it. Like it's really hard. The gym is fucking covered, man. Like you know, our gyms are open, but for how long and how safe is it? And blah blah blah. You're trying to avoid it, and such. So it's like really hard to stay active. You know, not everybody can get a Peloton or have room for all this stuff in their house and stuff, you know? Like, so I can understand, like, the value of something like an Electro idea. That's actually pretty funny.
1: Well, the funny thing is, like, I remember, like, Sleeman came out with one, you know, a while back. Okay. And I don't think it did very well. Like, a coconut water infused something. or And it was kind of, like, marketed along that way. I mean, I just think it's, like, to me, it just seems very illogical in the sense that, like, um... After work, I mean, I, I guess I work. I'm a, okay, you guys, you know, like I box and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, I still keep after ass. after a <laughs> sesh, like I'm not <laughs> drinking a beer. That's right. that sounds insane to me. Like yeah. I'm drinking water. I'm drinking like you know just not. I'm not drinking tequila soda. <laughs> <no matter what laughs>
0: after it is. that, no. I'm I'm not drinking anything with shake.
1: alcohol after working out. No. And and like trying to position in that in that way to me is like a little bit I
0: strange. A little yeah. bit strange. I just want to make it abundantly clear that I would kick your ass in a box I Kill you, bro. Well, 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 based on what you said previously, you're definitely in a
1: significantly higher weight class than you.
0: So. Wow. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Wow. Wow. Savage. Savage. That was a good one. That was a good one. That was a softball. I love that to you, bro. That was just a joke. One time we were out with Shahan and your mate, you, did, he, you just kept saying, oh, he... You just kept saying to him how much you like kick his ass at everything. You just kept getting so mad. It was a funny Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, like, yeah. He's like, he's like, like so, so much tall taller than me. Yeah. <laughs> and you were just like, bro, I'll kick your ass. And he was like, what? There's no chance, bro. I would just hold you. And like, you'd be like, bro, I'll just kill you. And I, it was my, it was one of my favorite night out ever. <laughs> no, yeah. The
1: context is like a running joke
0: because
1: yeah. we used to work together and then people that we. Uh, we work with all – it was just more that, like, they all kind of said, like, oh, yeah. yeah, like, you're much bigger. You're much stronger. But, you like, you're you just overly- you're too nice a guy. Like, you're just yeah. – like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> My favorite so, thing, though, like, I've adopted that. the Shahan attitude to life. I've taken – I say that to – like, do you remember at Scott's uh, bachelor party, we were playing NHL? I fucking hate video games, but you you play it, and I was like, bro, I'm gonna kill you at NHL. <laughs> I, you know, I was just like going on, I was like, but you're like, what the fuck, my like, bro, I'm gonna kick your ass. Don't worry about it. You fucking done, bro. Like, don't worry. <laughs> and it was like the funniest shit to me because like it's just it's it's, it's ill placed confidence. You do it with everything. But I just do it with everything now. It's my it's my motto in life. I just I like, kill you. Don't worry. About <laughs> it. You,
1: you remember what happened though,
0: right? Yeah, I subbed in my friend who's, like, in the top 100 <laughs> yeah. best NHL players That's in Canada. the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah and just be, literally. I was just mashing just buttons. I was just like, yeah. yeah, what's this? And you were beating me. And then I, and Sean came, and I was like, here, take it. And then he killed everybody because he was embarrassed to admit that he was in the top. I think he said he's the 70th best NHL player, player in the in, world. Yeah, yeah, it was in, crazy. in the world. That
1: was like, mega crazy about
0: that. Yeah, and he was like, he's like, yeah, I spend way too much time doing this. I was like, yeah, I respect it. But – you like? you like my confidence? I got it from you. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta be, you know, fake till you make it.
1: that's what, that's what it's. That's what it's
0: about. I've never funny
1: because I will say like since since uh, since J, uh, since my son came into the world, uh, I've been at home obviously like and taking care of him more. So I was like, oh, like I'll start picking up like video games because I'm like usually on the couch and just kind of t- taking care of him like during naps and stuff like that. And he's just, like, chilling, so I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I got nothing to do. I'll just, like, uh, I have a, like, a oh, Xbox thing that I've, like, basically never touched pretty much ever. So, I, like, I got a couple games, and I'm trying to play them. I'm just, like, getting murdered, <laughs> like, murdered online. I'm like, this is so... But it's given me resolve to try to, like, get better, but I'm just, I'm also, like, not a gamer at all, so I'm just trying to... I mean, now with, with Bucky, I think what's happening yeah. in Ontario, like I was trying to get back to, uh, you know, my workout routine, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's getting a little bit, you know, to tough back. with all the whole situation. I have a feeling they're going to close gyms down again.
0: So yeah. be, but. I've heard like, and this is the other stuff, like I'm all, we're like on the cautious end. Like you've been, I know you and I have spoken a lot throughout the, evening, the summer, obviously, but like, I know you've, because of your business, you've been out and about more. Tiff and I haven't had to be. So we just, are very cautious in Montreal was the, the center of the epicenter of COVID in, in, in Canada as well. So like, we've also been extra cautious. We have a gym in the building, but now they're not sure if like, well, I understand no one knows shit about it, but can you get it from surfaces? Like if you can't, then just fucking wear a mask. And when you're around people and stuff, and you just clean off surfaces with the sprays and you laps and you're good to go. But we don't know that for sure. So it's like, I want to get back to the gym. Now I've, I found a solution to my fat problem. So it's cool. And I'm sticking with my diet, even you know, only drinking. I'm also very um, uh, disciplined about my drinking. I only drink four nights a week. That's it. Same four nights all the time, unless there's like an exception. I had my 10 year anniversary in Canada last Monday. I normally don't drink Mondays, so I changed my week around because Matt has had to do it up. You know, Honestly. but like, you know what I'm saying. But like shit like that, and I found that's been really good. So I'd love to get back to the gym, but I'd, yeah, I wish there was a bit more. The problem is like this is a building gym, and hardly anybody uses it now because everyone's staying in their thing. So maybe it's maybe it's safe. I don't know. But like if you go into a public gym, I can see that being different just from volume of people. So I mean, like I don't know. It's 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 really strange, and it sucks that. There's not enough information that we know for sure because then we can make much more certain decisions about how to, you know, keep things moving, keep the economy moving, keep businesses thriving, keep people safe and healthy, but living the closest thing to normal life and we just don't know. So therefore like in Australia, I'm not sure if you saw that, but where my mum is in Melbourne, they would they but bro. Like Chanel. Chanel lives in Melbourne now, they'll fucking chill. They weren't doing nuts. Chanel was out of bars and we were all like, What are you doing? This is crazy. And then all of a sudden, shit got really real because people kept having house parties and then it spread. And then now they've gone into extra lockdown. You're not allowed to go five kilometers from your house. You have to have a letter or a reason to be able to even leave your house and go beyond that. So you're not allowed to only go to the store once a day, one person. And Chanel said they went from like 750 to 20. They've changed because, because, okay, there you go. So they went to 750 cases a day. And there's a it's pretty similar, it's a little bit less people in Australia than, than Canada. And yes. now they're at like, mom, I don't know about 20 Mum said something about oh, she said less than a hundred cases a day. They went down significantly because they locked down so heavy. So I've seen people, particularly a brewer, my friend sent me a screenshot of one of a, a brewer in Ontario saying how ridiculous it is. That they're doing the lockdown, but it's almost like, and this is the problem. If I don't know, get too into it. I don't know why I'm saying it, but just the, if you like lock down psychopathically from the beginning and we all just suck it up for six weeks, eight weeks, and you get it done, and then everything's pretty cool, then we can move on, then we're fine. Then we're good. But everybody had to keep partying. Everyone had to hit that patio. Everyone had to fucking have these house parties because they're a bunch of selfish fucks. And then we're at this point. So now they're like, okay, well, the cases are back up again because everyone had to go back to school instead of keeping it remote. So I understand the school thing is a touchy conversation, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's just, there's no answer to this shit, and people won't do what's best for the group. There's no as all individual like me, I need this thing. I need to hug my friend. Aurora.
1: Yeah. I mean I yeah, I mean I I'd say like I probably have a bit of a more I wanna say controversial stance about it. I bet but I mean obviously my generally speaking, for sure, public health priority number one, like you gotta protect um, you know, the people that are people that are vulnerable for sure. Yeah. Um And that lens, I think I can understand. I I think that the the trouble that I, like, what I I think is going to be the, like, the problem uh, as things kind of continue to develop um, is, and it's interesting because of how, like, I I guess Sweden seems like the only country that really had a very different approach to how they kind of dealt with it, right? Um, and they had a lot of debts, and some people would argue that they basically just like sacrifice the, you know, the vulnerable, uh, you know, but they're in a different situation now, because like, I mean, who knows? And no one knows. I think it'll be a case study on tr- in terms of how to deal with infectious diseases in the future, because this type of, I think, black swan event and now is not a black swan. Like you can't call it like something that's, that's out of the blue when you had SARS, I forget vulnerable. the other one, like whatever, whatever. This has been kind of been like a continuing trend. Correct. The, um, but I would say like my general view is this: as I kind of mentioned before, like the the all like tons of economies and countries have gone into a self-imposed recession, and um, it's yeah. all good. While, s- by hook or by crook, the government is supporting people not losing their homes, people not losing their businesses. Etc. Etc. Yes. Um, I do think the narrative will start changing when that effect is more broad. Mm. You know, if like it's always a knock-on effect. Like, you gotta understand, like, yeah, like restaurants and bars are crying right now, like because you know, by um, but the you know, it's it starts there and then it starts working up through the economy um, and. Uh, You know, everyone ultimately, if you keep just like slowing down the world, you're right. Like home delivery businesses and grocery stores obviously will continue to do well because they're like essential, effectively essential services. But everything else kind of feels that impact. So I think that. I think that the problem will become and I'm sure you've read like studies about this and I think in the U.S. and stuff like that. It, and I don't know about what Canada has, like, if there have been a lot of, has been a lot of talk about this, but just this idea of people being afraid. I'm sure you've heard, like, anti-vaxxers and stuff like that, right? Like, people saying, like, yeah, even if there was a vaccine, I don't want to take it. Like, it's too, who knows, it's too risky, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe in vaccines. Whatever the reason is, the idea is, like, there's no solution. There. You know, like, COVID will no, was, always be a thing. Right. Um. You know, the question is, like, what do you do? Um, you know to, to to what do you do to manage the situation such that like I've I've always said like the idea and I like when this whole issue came out you know one of the things that was discussed was um, there's a paper that was written by I think like four university professors mm-hmm. um, that said that the idea doesn't it doesn't make sense to just shut down everything um, because you're just it's just prolonging a problem. Like unless there's a definitive vaccine and everyone takes it and her, her immunity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. their whole point was number one, you have to protect the people that are like uh, that are vulnerable. So that's people with immune immunocompromised, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and they said number two, your like how you manage the problem has to be based of hospital capacity because what you want to do is you want you, people can get it. Like you could have 500 cases. If your hospitals can can manage 500 cases, throwing out numbers, it doesn't matter. It, the real question is: Are people dying because uh, you don't have enough beds, mm. or are people dying from other diseases because COVID is running rampant in the hospitals and it's causing problems? That right. like the idea has to be based off what um, how your healthcare system can you know uh, can evolve mm. and. And I I just think that, you know, we're talking about COVID-related deaths. We're not talking about mental health, you know, associated with um, uh, isolation, associated with loss of livelihood, associated with loss of businesses, like Mm -hmm. associated with loss of jobs. There's a whole, you know, it's not just, I guess my point is it's not like COVID is having a very big impact on a whole bunch of other things. Um, And I think that the idea i think people i think you have to start thinking a little bit forward looking to really think about it the the, you know the problem holistically because i think when you focus on one thing if it's just about like cases it's like it's going to go up like i don't i don't think that's going to change i think the question is like you know from a societal perspective like on whole how do you kind of look at this problem in a in a reasonable va- way. Wait, wait, and I, I'm not saying that I don't even know what the I don't even know what the right answer is. Right. But I but I'm very confident in saying, if the idea is over the next like 24 months, every few months we have to shut down. You, you know, there's major restrictions associated with movement, travel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I have no idea what this what this like what things will look like in in two years. You know, I think that it'll be very concerning overall.
0: Now, I agree with all that. Actually. The only thing I think that would avoid what you just said is if people did, we all have to agree as a society to do the one thing to be like, all right, let's lock the fuck down and like isolate mm-hmm. the shit. And if we did it for like two months, from what I understand, everything would be okay and manageable. Cause it's about managing really. Right? like, I'm not scared of getting it, but I don't want it because you don't know what kind of complication. There's a lot of people in our age group that are dying from shit because you never know what you have until you get COVID that fucks you up. And then on top of that, there's the after effects. That dude, I think his name is Rudy, someone, the NBA player who touched all the microphones. He's having complications. Yeah, he's having uh, the French guy. He's having lung complications and other things. So there are... Like, it's, it's in everyone's best interest not to get this shit. It was like, yeah, man, I'll be fine. Like, cool, but you don't fucking know. Like, my dad died of a heart issue. I've got heart. I potentially have heart shit. So, therefore, I heard this attacks the heart. So, I don't want it. I don't fucking want it. So, I'm being extra careful. That's why we haven't been to Toronto since February, right? We haven't seen Tiff's We haven't seen my brother. I want to go. But, I'm not. It's not worth it to me, it's not worth the risk. We went to deep Quebec a couple of weeks ago when shit was at like 50 cases a day, and then in Gaspésie where we were, there was 200 cases for the whole region. Period. So like, shit's pretty good, but it's more like the management. I agree, things can't keep going on, but if 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 it's these half-assed, the problem is half-assed lockdowns, and everybody like cheating and being like, yo, you're not allowed to go see your family. They go see the family oh, you can't, have a, you can't have more than X number of people in your house. They have a house fighting with 60 people. That's the problem. I saw this video yesterday. Uh, I showed you, Tiff and Dan, like this fucking guy in the States, the cops pulled up to a house. He's like, you know why I'm here? He's like, yeah, I got 20, 30 people inside. He's like, I just checked. You've got COVID. He's like, yeah, yeah I got it like a week ago. And he's like, oh, but I'm isolating. I'm at home. But you've got 30 people in the house with you. And he's like, yeah, but I'm like I'm isolating. People are dumb as don't shit. And that's the problem. And that exact thing right there is why it's never going to end. Because all, that's what I think. I think it's not the scariest thing in the world. And I'm cool. I'm like, whilst I won't go for a beer in Montreal, we went elsewhere because the cases are still crazy here right now. Yeah. If people feel comfortable and the restaurants do their shit, when we're in Quebec City, I'm not going to lie, some of the breweries we went to, we had to sit at a dirty table. They didn't even clean it before. We saw the person leave and they didn't clean it. They didn't clean it after us. Someone came and took it right after us. And we were like, yeah. that's not fucking cool, man. Um I don't like that at all. And that's the problem because you can't expect businesses to keep up with it. So then people get lax and Quebec city now was getting fucked up because of it. that's when now the new, one of the new epicenters in, in Canada. So, or in Quebec, I'm sorry. So it's an interesting conversation that just sort of needs. If everybody just were like, alright, let's just get rid of it. Cause I feel like if we are smart, we can get rid of it and then we just yeah, move I mean, on. Yeah. And ma- I and think there's it. a lot of,
1: I mean, hindsight's always great, right? Like, you can always say, if we did this, if we did that, you know, things would be different.
0: Um, You know, I think that... Look at New Zealand. They did the same thing. They did a hardcore lockdown, and they had no fucking cases. And then one family got it somehow, and then it kind of sparked back up again. But they were managing to have full, you know, 50,000 people in the sports stadium again, because they locked down and did it right. Therefore, that's a case study to say that this exists, but nowhere else did it right, because everybody is so inherently selfish, that's the problem,
1: yeah. I think. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a bit of, like, personal context to the entire discussion because I think that it's, like, an interesting – it has nothing to do with beer, but I think it's more of a – obvious, just a philosophical – like, it's just – it's more philosophy from my perspective. Okay. Um, and I will say, like, coming back, I will say, like, stuff no. about COVID with me, for example, like, my wedding was in uh, – was on 25th, my, uh, my wedding date was, as you guys know, it was March 21st uh and my I, we had to which was the first saturday like they uh the government in ontario announced monday on the, the monday that the they were day. shutting everything down and we had already made the decision but anyway long story short but effectively um uh my wedding was canceled uh baby on the way etc cetera, etc cetera, all these like weird you know right. uh, rules like we didn't, couldn't yeah. have any of our family at the hospital like so i, I have been personally significantly um, you know, affected by, you know, COVID, but taking a step back, even before COVID, um, you know, my, uh, my dad passed away in 20, I think, uh, year anyway, uh, years ago. And, um, and when he did, he had, he, he suffered from um, uh, mm-hmm. like heart failure, which is, it, it gradually impacts you over time. Yes. Um, but what, in seeing that, what you know you realize is you really understand quality of life. You understand, um, you know, issues around uh, living to like just existing versus living. I always like that was my big thing. Like, I remember with my dad, like, it was like, you know, he was on diuretics, like he couldn't. Uh, uh, he was basically taking medication that made him thirsty, yet he couldn't drink water because it would um, it would stay in his system because his heart wasn't working well. So then, it was just this whole idea of, and he couldn't. He also couldn't eat food with salt because it also contributed to um, uh, uh, retaining water. Long story Mm. short, is like it's basically a terrible situation. Like you're living, but you know your food tastes bad. You're always sick. You feel you know you're very slow, etc., etc. So uh, in the context to now, I think one thing that like you know my. You know, I'm an only child, my mom's first grandson, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah, there's a risk of me seeing my mom and her seeing her grandson. But conversely, you know, not just like isolating and not seeing, you know, him for, you know, indefinitely also has its own effect. Mm. So I think everyone has to, I think, come to their own risk reward, you know, equation in terms of what makes sense for them. Um, and that's where I think, I, and, I, and I think you're right, like that, you know, had everyone shut down for a couple weeks or a month or whatever it was, and no one goes anywhere effectively,
0: um, that virus. kills the virus. Like they everyone knows that. Yeah, but they didn't do it. That's the problem. Because people were selfish. But And the governments didn't, didn't enforce it either.
1: Right. But then I think that conversely, the other way you look at that is also just, you know, everyone, um, uh, was when everything was happening was saying, like, no no no, like restricting travel is is racist or bad and probably in hindsight now everyone's saying that like, no, we actually probably should have done that. Earlier. Uh, much earlier. Yeah, early. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it just goes back to like this whole idea of um, you know, I think that there's never a good decision. I think it's it's it was like trying to figure out the best situation in a bad situation. Yeah. Um but I I do fundamentally believe that, you know, over like that as a general as a general statement, that um, COVID is a problem, 100%. It's a very serious problem. But I also think that there's other problems that are that are not getting the same attention, that are just as bad, if not
0: worse. Like the, the run-on problems that should also be addressed. And you're right, the mental health. The, the, the Like you said, we haven't seen any of our family in person in, whatever well, seven, eight, nine months. So, no, I, I definitely get it. I definitely get it. It's such a complicated... Conversation, but this is like I mean, think this is good because we're being sensible about it. Like we're both pretty, but the thing is that like, you're a smart dude. You're chill about it, and I, when I say chill, as in like you have to be out and about. But I can't imagine you would take risks being you had a pregnant wife this entire time and then you had a kid on the way. So you're not the type of dude who's going to be like doing dumb shit but at the same time. You are taking calculated. Well, look, you know everything's pretty clean at this restaurant. We should be good, type of thing, right? And Toronto was a different case to Montreal and. Everybody, I wish everybody had that level of sensibility because a lot of people don't. You saw the thing at Trinity Bellwoods and stuff over some of the people wild and shit. So, yeah, I man, it's just such a complicated situation. I, I really hope we're able to get over it and make sure. Like, I saw a thing the other day that said Quebec is officially in a second wave. I hope that's not the case. I imagine a lot of it's got to do with schools because you can't make sure kids are behaving themselves and keeping their hands to themselves and not doing this and sharing masks and all this dumb stuff, you know, that... You can't help a child, you know, they can't possibly understand it. So it's just such a complicated, annoying situation, and I wish there was, like, while there is hindsight, I mean, maybe some of that hindsight, because it's it's moving so fast, could be applied to now. I don't know. Um, Either way, though, I feel like uh, as long as, um, you know, we're doing the most intelligent thing for the communities and stuff like that, then, uh, you know, we're good to go. Did you get that, Ryzen? We'll show you Amanda, we're the a mandem because we're coming up with two and a half hours. It's a big one. Want to just pour that, explain this beer, and then we'll uh, wrap her up.
1: Uh, yeah, so this is just an uh, amber lager ale, like uh, similar style to our original uh, revival. Um, wanted to make uh, again, like a little bit of a more fall wintery lager style beer. Um, and and like loved the the style, loved the hybrid kind of nature of it. Again, like in terms of innovation, so. Just, uh, Just a look at another a look. Uh, another newbie for the for
0: the brown portfolio. I love it. Can you hold, it, hold up the the glass, please? Nice, nice, crispy, clear. Kind of looks like a Vienna lager, like a Marzen, like an oktoberfest type of joint. Is it on that vibe? Yep. Nice and caramel and a bit crispy. Okay, so when are we seeing a pumpkin spice latte beer from Westcraft?
1: Oh, you know, we're 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 uh, we're working on getting that like you know viral cloutness to it. Uh, yeah, pumpkin is not my yeah. thing. I don't know. I'm it. I just never. I've never. I've never really got it. What PSL? You know? Like the pumpkin beer thing. It's
0: oh, like a bang it year comes back
1: head. every. It is. It is like literally like without fail. Like, like exactly
0: like the pumpkin latte phenomenon. It's the greatest uh, shit in the world, bro. Being a basic bitch like me, I love that shit. There's nothing better. And then a pumpkin yeah. spice latte. it's my favorite honestly it's my whilst I prefer heat this is the favorite, best time of year it's PSL's all day not Starbucks trash third wave you get that fire you know what I'm saying I, I only drink fire doesn't matter what it is it's just it's all this fire uh, you feel me one, one piece that I will say about like coffee yeah. I don't know man that McCafe stuff it's 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 doper than you think no I find, as far as like the commercial second wave coffee goes um mcdonald's has some of the best is underrated i think mcdonald's coffee is like
1: aggressively underwritten okay well have, have blind you, taste test why don't you do this you know you do the blind beer yep yeah, do blind coffee do that blind coffee like like drip i can just do drip from a bunch of different cafes um, like starbucks timmy's get a little mick in there i mean i you could know, do that you could you probably get access to dunkin
0: donuts right and like you're pretty close to the border Oh, the border have been closed for forever. What? The the American border is closed. You can't just go to America. Oh shit, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can fly over. Uh I could just ask <laughs> just my boy to, to send something to me and I'll put it in a in a in a fucking saucepan and heat that bitch up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who breathes it? Who breeds it? Because oh,
1: they can't also fly across. Oh, like, it's
0: you know, I could just like I'll get my boy to put it in a in a jar and like lock it up and send me some beers as well and send me some shit coffee. You know, and I'll just heat it up. So, for ending this, if if we're
1: ending this up, I actually want like so we I get the feedback. So, what what's the next beer that C uh, Student Certified Brew head? Like, what are you looking for us to make? What's the next beer you want us to make?
0: I'm just, what okay.
1: or What do you think the next beer that makes sense for us to make
0: to be? Okay, this is this is a good this is a good question. Um, Personally, what you said before about 2021 being maybe a, um, coming back into the lager, that's genuinely, I know you might not believe me, but that's really exciting for me. If I go to a brewery, the number one thing I'm asking for, I want to see their Crispy bread. So if you're going to be changing up some of that, I think that's fantastic. Um, the brute was a left field for me, but the most positive thing of all time because it was such a pleasant surprise to be like, yo, you the fucking brute, bro? No one's doing a brute. I love that. I think um, definitely the crispies, I would like to see a Lost Craft dark beer. That's maybe a stout or a porter. I would also think, and I don't know how possible it is. I think it would be kind of cool if you did some bottles, one-off, very small batch, um, some sort of barrel-aged beer. Uh, once again, doesn't have to be psycho beer nerd shit, but maybe something kind of fun if you were able to do like a uh, say like a coffee stout at five percent, very approachable. Uh, very drinkable. Maybe don't use McDonald's coffee. Maybe use something local. It's Fire, uh, Pilot, or one of them joints. Um, you could do a nice little coffee, creamy coffee stout, nitro or something like that. That's very uh, gets people into dark beer and takes away some of the fear because a lot of people have a dark beer fear. As far as they know, it's too bitter, it's too this, it's too that. or no, it's really not. And then you'd be able to barrelate some of that. Maybe you make that into a very small batch sort of you know hyper release thing. I think that would be fun. I know you spoke about it uh, like a while ago about doing that. I think that's the one thing in your portfolio that you probably haven't touched because you've done all the other kind of stout styles, maybe no brown nails, no porters, no stouts, kind of more the darker beers now I think about it are the main thing. So I think that would be interesting because the way that you've made everything else so approachable, even a style that I don't fuck with, like a whip, this was genuinely very tasty, very easy drinking. Like I enjoyed it and I do not typically enjoy Belgian beers. So I feel like you could make a fantastic stout that would kind of help to educate consumers on um you know what what a good stout could taste like, particularly something like having coffee in it. If you collaborate with a local roaster, there's a whole bunch. Toronto's really come up. Montreal is definitely the the, the capital of coffee in Canada. But Toronto, mm-hmm. like I was at a, one of my favorite cafes today. They had hail beans. You get pilot a lot of places here. It makes me very happy. Because Toronto beans are killer. It's a great, lot of great stuff out there. So I think that would be fun for you. Is that any of that of interest, or is that uh, let that shit tick over? A little yeah, time? we'll find out. Let, let me let me let it simmer. I'm here for you, bro. I always want to uh, you know plant some ideas. I kind of feel like my in your balls about the lactose resulted in the eclipse it might not have but i feel in my in my uh in my mind that i mildly contributed to stirring that you know peppering the little uh what's going on in there hopefully yeah man for sure and i'll um yeah i mean i'll give you advice on workouts you need it. I need it because I'm a fat man, so you know. But not you want. Not already, already like three and a half pounds down, bro. All I did was cut bikkies, mate. Wait. Till yeah, I, you're talking I, to
1: me. I'm, I'm Mr. Dad bod right now. So <laughs> yeah, but,
0: uh, We're allowed to be fat. Yeah,
1: I'm in no situation to chirp you, to be honest.
0: <laughs> <Not> <laughs> I, I, I welcome I'm the, the chirp, you It's all in love, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. Real quick, where can everybody find Lost Craft online? Um, www.lostcraft.ca.
1: Lost Um, yeah. I mean, available at LCBO. Check it out, order online. Hopefully, you uh, can return to home delivery at some point soon. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, love the love what you guys are doing.
0: Appreciate keep, you. Keep doing it. You going, the and it's at Lost Craft Beer everywhere. Do so I'm going to do just before I wrap up? I'm going to take the uh, thumbnail because we we'll have to take it from the computer now as opposed to getting Tiff to take the, the camera afterwards. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go here. Can you hold up a cup? Whoa, what the motherfucker was that about? That was not what I intended to do with my motherfucking thinking. So uh, here we go. Is that it? There we go. So can you hold up a, a couple bird. cans? Yeah, a couple, couple cans or something. Oh, it's really bad. Yeah, you hold that up. There you go. If I go like that, there we go. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, my gosh, that will do. Ready? Look at us. Beautiful. All right. So I'm going to wrap this up on the podcast end. Just keep staying on the line. Um, so, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell so you know when the media drops. Follow us on social media at BAOS Podcast. And check out the long-form audio so you can hear freaking legends like Shahan talk about craft beer in Canada. That is it, y'all. We'll see you next week. As always, get it in here.